This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I have been using this chalk for at least a couple years, and it is my favorite chalk that I have ever used. If you need to refill your chalk bag, head over to chalkcartel.com to buy yourself a kilo of the stickiest white powder on the market. And if you want to save big, they even sell this stuff in a five-gallon bucket. Perfect for gym owners, root setters, or for those of you who built a climbing wall in your house during COVID, or if you have a moonboard in your garage, or if you are a broke college student, here's an idea. You can use some of those student loans to throw down for a five-gallon bucket, buy yourself some Ziploc bags from the grocery store, and voila, you'll be one of the most popular kids in your dorm, slinging bags of chalk to all your friends and making a profit so you can finally buy some climbing shoes that actually fit instead of those old high tops you got from your dad. My first pair of climbing shoes were my dad's old high tops. I've never said that on the podcast before, but it's true. Head over to chalkcartel.com, use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. Chalk Cartel, great chalk, no bullshit. This episode is also brought to you by Crimped. This might be the best tool in the app store when it comes to training for rock climbing. This is a training app. It's super helpful for whatever you want to do with your training, but it's also useful for flexibility. And actually the thing I've been loving most about the Crimped app is some of the flexibility workouts that they include in the app. I have been doing this hip and leg flexibility workout for at least a year, maybe longer, and I love it. I hate stretching, but the great thing is that Crimped makes it easy. I just jump into the app, I pull up their hip and leg flexibility workout. There are videos that show me exactly what to do, a built-in timer that tells me how long to hold each stretch, and I don't even have to think about it. I love it. If you are a self-coached climber and you want proven workouts to improve whatever it is you want to improve in your climbing, your bouldering, your strength, your flexibility, you name it, Crimped has you covered. And the best part is you can try it for free. So check it out. Crimped is spelled C-R-I-M-P-D. That's crimp with a D at the end. And you can find it in the app store for iOS or on Android, or you can use the web-based version at crimped.com. Check out Crimped. That's crimped with a D at the end to get started with your training. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. We're going on a year with these guys, and I have loved partnering with Fizzy Vantage. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition, with more than 40 professional climbers now using Fizzy Vantage products daily to support their training and climbing performance. Many of those people have been on the podcast, and there's a reason they use FizzyVantage. Visit FizzyVantage.com to learn more about their many innovative research-based nutrition products and supplements, including their revolutionary supercharged collagen. That's my personal favorite, and I have been rocking the natural flavor lately, the unflavored, and just mixing it into my food. That's an easy way to get more collagen in your diet. FizzyVantage also has the performance-boosting Endurex and their delicious protein supplements, Weapons Grade Whey, and they have a plant-based protein called PowerPlex. If you would like to feel the FizzyVantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's NUGGET15 at checkout, and you can find a direct link to this coupon right there in your podcast app. 
Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Anna Hazelnut. Anna is a professional climber who specializes in difficult single pitch trad and slab climbing. She's known for her slab is sexy merchandise and her YouTube channel. She's also a content creator and such a fun personality on the internet. She's also a total crusher. Don't let that comment about her being a specialist fool you because Anna is an all around badass. And most importantly, so much fun to talk to. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was one of my favorites that I've had in quite a while. And we talked for hours and hours. I was, of course, curious to dig into slab climbing and specifically training for slab climbing. Yes, you heard me right. Not practicing slab, not climbing slab to get better at slab, but actual training for slab climbing, including how Anna trains her toes. Yes, you heard me correctly. So much good stuff in this conversation. It was also really fun to hear about two of her biggest climbing achievements to date. We talked about these two climbs quite a lot. And I'm going to add a little bit of context right here because I wish I had cleared a couple things up during the conversation. We talked about two slab trad routes that she did in the UK, one in 2021 and one in 2022. Once Upon a Time is an E96C. And I wish I had asked her to clarify the British grading scale and what that means for us Americans. To give you guys that context right here, Once Upon a Time is roughly 513B with a really big spice factor. So this is a really technical slab climb with tiny little gear the whole way up and she climbed it on all trad gear. So that gives you a little bit of context about that one. And then the other one is an even harder line on that same cliff. It gets the same British grade of E96C, but I talked to Anna about this after our interview, and she said that she thought that one was closer to 513D and even scarier and potentially more risky than Once Upon a Time. So I just wanted to add that little bit of context here for you guys. She also mentioned at one point that she climbed Once Upon a Time with two ropes. We didn't talk about why, so I wanna clear that up right here. She climbed both of these routes with two ropes, and this is a really common thing with that style of climbing because the climbs tend to wander. They're 50 meters long, they're super long, and they tend to wander back and forth across the cliff with lots of little nuts and sliders and tiny little cams placed all over the place. So she clips all of the gear on the left side with her left rope and the gear on the right side with her right rope to reduce rope drag. And that becomes critically important with such long routes. So anyway, there's some context. And that was only half the conversation. We spent about half of our three hours talking about her climbing and about leaning into her superpowers and her top training exercises for slab. And then we pivoted and we talked a lot more about her sensitivity and the benefits and downsides of being a really sensitive person. That's how Anna describes herself. And we had a pretty awesome conversation about dealing with negative comments online and some of the hate that she gets from people, which is awful and shitty. And we talked about embracing empathy and the ways in which she's trying to make the world a better place using comedy as a mechanism for change, and much more. All that to say, I loved this conversation with Anna. It was so much fun, and I think you guys are really going to like this one. All right, thank you for tuning in, and 
please enjoy this very wide ranging and very fun conversation with slab aficionado on a hazelnut. You found a microphone. Look at you. You're in a house. I know. I'm in a house. I have a microphone. I cut my bangs, although this strand is still a little long. <laughs> I should probably just like cut that off right now. <laughs> okay. I've cut my bangs. Now, now we're ready. And <laughs> we're ready, even though it's a podcast. <laughs> but like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> a normal human right now. Where are you in the world? I'm visiting my parents. So I'm at my parents' house. This is like my childhood room, although it's like super blank. I haven't really gotten around to decorating it. Yeah, the walls are empty. Sad. I know. It's because I painted my room and then I like put some shelves there. Actually, behind me is quite beautiful. Let's see this. I don't... It's Okay, okay. I like have everything like connected. Yeah. Only if if it's not going to... Here we go. No, no. It's (laughs) definitely going to be worth it. I've put a lot of time and effort into putting these shelves up. Oh, cool. Okay, it's hard to see, but there, there are books, uh... And there's like rocks and stuff. And then my stuffed animals are just like scattered <laughs> around the desk. Nice. Yeah. Where, um, you don't have to give me your, <laughs> sorry, what, what was that? Um, oh, SoCal. Uh, SoCal. Okay. California. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yeah. Most of my life at least. Okay. Santa Barbara. Is that right? Um, not Santa Barbara. I went to college in Santa Barbara. Got it. I kind okay. of stayed SoCal, but um, my parents live like, in the middle of nowhere, kind of, uh, about 15 or 20 minutes from Irvine. Okay. Know where Irvine is. Because my dad worked at the university, so. Okay. Nice. Yeah. How long are you back visiting for? I'm back until end of February, and then I go to Austria. Okay. Austria, yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. For a specific objective, a specific climb, or, or what? Yeah. I, I want to try um, the climb called Prinzi Puffnong. And it's like this really cool slabby vert uh, trad test piece out there. Um, I think it goes like 8B, 8B plus. Okay. Um, and then right next to it is uh, a harder climb that's called psychoactive. And so if that one goes fast, there's like two to do. It seems like a really cool wall. It's like right on top of a, a little town. It's like one big rock with really, really hard trad climbs. And then right next to it are like houses and a whole village. Oh, wow. It's going to be so trippy. Yeah. yeah. Have I seen this? Did did Paige Klassen do a video on this wall um, or climb or am I... I don't think Paige did. Okay. But it is something that Paige would do. I love <laughs> all the climbs Paige does. I like yeah. look at her Instagram sometimes. I'm like, where should I go next? <laughs> Where's the next slab proj? Yeah. I mean, not to, yeah. not to uh, put her in a box. She's doing everything at a really high oh, level I these know. days, but... Like That's dream fun. catcher and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she's definitely someone I, I like look up to as far yeah. as climbing and projects go. Well, um, I'm all I'm already recording on my end. Um, how are you feeling? Do you have any questions for me before we just roll into podcasting? No, let me hide my screen view so I don't like look at myself on accident. Okay, <laughs> it's just like so distracting for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, do you have a time cut off today? I don't know. Okay, great. Six hour podcast. Here we go. Six. I would talk for six hours too. So be would careful. you? What would you talk about oh, if we, we'll if I told you that we were going to do a six hour podcast? What do you think we would talk about? 
Uh, I'd probably deviate into like other topics. I'm sure I'd probably like, I don't know. I, conversation just flows, right? So maybe we would talk about neuroscience. <laughs> maybe we'd talk about some article I read or I'm reading some really fascinating books right now. And then I'd probably ask you a lot of questions. It wouldn't be as like, it wouldn't be as interviewee maybe. Mm, okay. <laughs> but like, it's nice to talk to people. A lot of time I'm just being like asked questions. <laughs> well, this is, we can think of this as a conversational interview. How about that? Sounds good. I don't want to make it more about me than it has to be. But if you have questions, feel free to ask them. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I like, okay. I want to, I always try to, um, you know, we're here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to share your story as much as we can with um, everybody listening but I want it to feel natural and, and fun for, for you as well, you know? So, um, yeah, it can Your be a conversation. Your van setup looks nice. Thank you. Yeah. This is were my... you in a van last time? I feel like you were in a house. Did we switch places? <laughs> yeah, we and switched places. Is that one of my stickers? <laughs> yeah, you were sitting in like the front seat of your uh, SUV or whatever. What do you what do you yeah. travel around in? A Subaru. A Subaru. Outback. Yeah. An Outback? Okay. I did yeah. that for a long time. Yeah. Ron. Yeah. Oh, nice. Bessie. Ronald Joseph Aaron Burgundy was the full name of my Subaru. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. He had a little yeah. mustache on his steering wheel. My my name was, pa mine was passed down to me. Um, I bought my car from like a pretty prominent drug dealer, I think, because oh. he <laughs> seemed to be like really blasé about how much it cost. Like, he's like, oh, sure. I like haggled him down a couple of grand. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, I don't care. <laughs> he's like, I'm like, okay. And he's like, but the only thing is that you have to continue calling her Bessie. Bessie. And I was like, can do. <laughs> and it smelled just like like a hot box. It smelled like weed for the first year. <laughs> nice. I'm I'm partially convinced that my van, so I bought my van used. It's a Dodge Pro Master. And I'm partly convinced that it was used to like run drugs across the border or something. There's all these weird things that are broken. Like some of the compartments are like, have been taken apart and put back together, you know? And I'm, I'm just like, why? there's no like other logical reason that I can think of why that would have happened. You know, it was probably like a yeah. stash. Probably drugs. Anyway. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. You're ready. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing it. We're, we're chatting, but yeah, we've switched places. I'm in my van. I'm in Waco tanks right now. And you're in SoCal. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. Anna, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. First things first, hazelnut, hazelit, what's happening What's happening with your last name? I'm actually genuinely confused because, so I'm, like I just said, I'm in the campground here in Waco. I'm actually parked right across the road, the dirt road that's like eight feet wide from Ethan Pringle. Um, he's my little neighbor here. <gasps> Ethan! Yeah, so oh, we've been hanging guy. out and I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing interviewing you and he's like, oh, you mean Anna Hazlett? And I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Hazelnut. And I looked on the internet and it's totally ubiquitous. But then I saw one of your videos and I think you credited maybe your sister. Do you have a sister? I do. Who does yeah, some like editing or something? Sisters, yeah. Yeah. She did the little animations uh, for my Spank the Monkey video. Okay. Those were great. Okay. Yeah. They were so good. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, you listed her in the credits with Hazlet as the last name. And then I was like, oh, Ethan's totally right. But tell me yeah. just... What's happening with your last name? Did you change it legally or is this just a fun, no. fun thing? So... Yeah, it, it's a bit confusing for the internet because I do kind of use both of them. Um, but my real name is Hazlett. It's Anna Hazlett. Um, but in high school, I ran track and cross country. And a lot of 
like my, my teammates, whenever they were cheering for me, they just started using the nickname Hazelnut. So it was kind of like a track nickname, if, th- if that makes sense, like a fun, endearing thing. And uh, I didn't make my Instagram until college. My my college roommate actually made it for me. I was totally against social media. And she was like, well, just use your nickname. It'll be so fun. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Everyone's using a nickname. Like, that's cute. That's fun. And so I was on a hazelnut on Instagram. And I was just going to use it for climbing posts and just kind of use it to connect with other climbers. And then um, at some point, I realized that people have genuinely thought my name was Anna Hazelnut. And then I kind of like looked around and I was like, wait, everyone's using their real names. Like, when did that happen? I feel like I was totally out of the loop. Like oh, on Instagram? Tether, like, yeah, on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, weren't we all using cute names? My like college, one of my other roommates, her Instagram handle was like Pencil Vester, you know, from Rick and Morty. And mm. we just like had funny, funky names and it was like not serious. And then all of a sudden I like, like, it's like I blinked and woke up and everyone used their real names and it was like a serious thing. And I just <laughs> forgot to like get into the, to the loop and it was kind of too late. So I just thought, okay, well, it's cute. We'll keep it. And now articles, news articles, like things are, people are so confused. They're like, uh, on a hazelnut, it goes by the mnemonic hazelnut, or maybe some even just flat out say on a hazelnut. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty funny. (laughs) I think most of them just say on a hazelnut at this point, you know, in video credits and in written interviews online and things like that. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm both. You're both. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up. So both. Okay. I wasn't wrong. Ethan was, well, I was wrong. Ethan was right. Yeah. Ethan, Ethan is definitely right. That's funny. That's cute. It's really fun to be talking to you. I mean, you've been on my radar for quite a while now, but um, a fun connection I made uh, that you helped uh, put the pieces together for me when we did a pre-interview was that Lynn Hill had actually giving you a shout out on the show in like this really subtle incognito way. And I didn't know that that was you at the time. So that was really fun. Actually, I had seen some of your, I think, Instagram stuff. And um, maybe I'd seen you via Tom Randall, like through his channel and things like that. Yeah. And didn't realize that you had your own YouTube channel and that you were a content creator. Um, But yeah, Lynn had mentioned, (laughs) we were talking about being a pro climber and how cool it is that there's all these different ways to do that these days. And she mentioned you like, yeah, this, this girl has her own TV show, basically, that she she made. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that? I did. It was really endearing because obviously, I mean, like Lynn Hill is such a hero to me um, and to a lot of women, men, everyone out there. Uh, She's an icon in the community. And it was just so cool that she, I mean, that she watches my, my show or whatever it is that I make my YouTube channel. And she didn't mention my name. I don't even think she, she probably doesn't even know my name, um, but she definitely has watched a bunch of my YouTube videos and subscribed to me. And one of my followers messaged me on Instagram and was like, Oh my gosh, I think Lynn Hill just mentioned you. And I was like, Oh my God, oh, that's, cool. that's so cool. <laughs> kind of a fangirl moment for me. <laughs> yeah. It was the Louis Parkinson collab, right? Where you guys are teaching each <laughs> yeah. other how to do different uh, styles of, of slab climbing. I just watched that this morning. It was so much fun. Um, <laughs> such high energy. Such high energy. Louis and I talk so much. We're both just like filled with energy. And Omar was from the Vobats was filming and he was like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> so much for me right now. <laughs> That's good. It's perfect. It, the energy comes through on YouTube, which I think is really contagious and fun. Well, thank you. Um, I want to back up and hear a little bit about your path as a climber, where you started. I mean, because 
when I when I um, became aware of you, it was the slab is sexy thing. It was like, whoa, who's who is this? Who's Anna? She's crushing it. All of a sudden, you know, you from where I was sitting came out of nowhere as one of the best slab climbers in the world, and you were starting to do some pretty scary, pretty bold trad slab, um, you know, micro yeah. <laughs> micro gear protected slab in the UK and things. And yeah, talking to you, it said that you you're talking about how good it has felt to find that niche and how this is kind of the first time where you've really been able to believe in yourself as a professional climber. So I would love to, I would love to rewind the clock and hear where you started and how it is that you've kind of slowly and, and surely found your niche in climbing. If that's how you think about it, because I know you, one thing that I'm most excited to talk to you about in general in this conversation today is being a specialist and how you think about being a specialist versus trying to diversify and broaden your skill set and work on weaknesses. Because that's always an interesting balance, you know, that, that we all have to think about. Um, there's like an interesting calculus there. But but yeah, let's start yeah. at the, I guess, the beginning and just do kind of a quick overview. Where did you get started? What, what did your climbing look like when you got started? And how is it that you found your way to this niche that it seems like you're thriving in now? Uh, well, I think I think those are great questions, especially like the specialization question, um, because when I started climbing, I had this high propensity towards slab climbing. I'm not sure whether that was just because I, I'm slightly tall, I'm lean, I I have really good body awareness and movement. I did dance classes when I was really little. I mean, not enough to be like I'm a dancer, but like I, I had body awareness going into climbing. And it really just suited me. And I really liked that. I liked how I could just flow and get into that flow state really easily on vertical or slab climbs. And I didn't have upper body strength like at all. I ran track and cross country before that. So I really couldn't like lift myself up on the roofs. And I just found it like not as fulfilling because it's like, okay, I can do like one move maybe, and then I'll fall or I'll go to the slab and I'll be able to do a few moves and kind of really dance my way up the wall. And it, it felt really good. And so almost right away, I started slab climbing and vert climbing. So all of my first boulder grades were all slab or vert, very crimpy. And they were all high balls too, up to like V5. <laughs> like my first list is just like these heinous high balls. Like my first V0 or V1 was this um, scooped high ball in Black Mountain called Big Greenie. And it's just like notoriously extremely scary and difficult right and then I just like kept doing high balls after high balls like slash face was my first v3 a Lund hill memorial uh, face problem first v4 and then jbmfp first v5 so it was just like wow. I was already um doing tall scary mentally challenging things and then in the style I liked so I really found it right away and then I think I deviated from that a little bit because I realized how much of a discrepancy there was between my face climbing, like I was climbing B5, maybe even stiff B5s in Joshua Tree, right? But I couldn't really do like a V1 <laughs> on, on the cave or in the roof. And I felt like kind of self-conscious too, because people don't really take slab climbing seriously sometimes. Mm. And I just felt like, oh gosh, I, I don't really know how to climb anything else. And um, I think that mentality has kind of also been a reason to push me towards making things like the slab is sexy merch stickers shirts because i feel like people really don't take it seriously because it doesn't require brute strength all of the time sometimes it just requires uh, tenacity technique um, fearlessness 
And so I'm, I, that's like, I know you didn't ask that question, but I, I feel like it was really important in my journey through climbing was kind of accepting that I really liked slab and then being willing to kind of lean into that as well. Mm. Um, so I started with bouldering and then like it both indoors and outdoors for six years. And then I moved to Barcelona after I graduated uh, from college and started sport climbing. And that was, okay, that was a few years ago. I'm trying to get my timelines right. <laughs> so I think that was like three and a half years ago or so. And then um, two years after that, I decided to learn how to trad climb. So that was a year and a half ago or so. And now I just kind of mix all of them together, uh, trad, sport, and boulder. Yeah. Do you so think that's kind of, of like a quick summary? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so many things to dive into there. I'm curious, do, how do you think about your climbing now? Do you identify as a, you know, fill in the blank climber, a trad climber, a slab climber, a anything, or are you just a climber? Um, do, do all those things feel like equal parts of your climbing identity? How do you think about it? Yeah, it, it's funny because every time I feel like I am a trad climber or a sport climber or a boulder, I like mix it up because <laughs> I have this uh, habit of not being comfortable in any position. I like, I don't like to grow comfortable into mm. things. And so right when I'm like, oh, nice, like I'm totally a trad climber. I'll just like go on a bouldering trip and just feel like, oh my God, like I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't have any power. This is really difficult. I'm not a boulderer. And then right when I start feeling like, oh my God, I have power. I'm a boulderer. I'll be like sport climbing. And I'll be like, ah, I'm so scared. I don't know how to sport climb. I don't have any endurance anymore. And then right when I feel comfortable, I'll be like trad climbing or bouldering. <laughs> and I just consistently have realized it's kind of something I just found out this last like this last year because you know I'm cycling through all three now is that I just never get to that point of feeling comfortable for too long before I just get antsy. And I'm like, okay, I need to switch this up now. I think the same can also be said for uh, styles of climbing. Like I do kind of, I do identify as a slab climber. I love slabs. That is definitely my specialty. And I'm no longer afraid to lean into that and mm. to train for that and to, I mean, push grades and difficulties in slab climbing. But I also try to switch it up. I try to, I've gotten a lot better at overhangs, at caves, roofs, system board, you know, like 40 degree angles. I'm trying to do it all now. And I think it's really fun and rewarding to switch it up and to be like new or bad at something. Mm -hmm. So I guess I identify kind of as a slab climber, but it depends what time of the year. And when you ask me whether I'm a sport climber, a child climber or a boulder. <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? That kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, what I'm hearing is you have this like insatiable desire to challenge yourself and to grow from that challenge. I mean, what what you're saying like totally explains why you've gotten good so fast. You know, you're not willing to stay comfortable very long. You always jump into the next thing that's going to kick your ass and teach you a lot. Where's that come from? Because that's, um, yeah, that that's, that's, I, I, I really admire that. I think it's so cool. I think it, um, you know, if you continue to do that, it's just going to take you so far in your climbing and in so many other, so many other areas of life. Where does it come from for you? Is that just like your personality growing up or is that, you know, the way your parents taught you or what do you uh, think? My mom has always said I'm extremely stubborn. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, I'm so, so stubborn. I have been known to like lock myself in a room and not come out for like a day when I was mad as a kid or like, you know, like I do things that are just like to the extreme and I'm 
although I don't like competing in climbing, I am highly competitive. So like just, just yesterday I was playing ping pong after like climbing for like five hours with a friend and learning how to like spin the ball. Cause I hadn't done, like, I don't really know how to do that. And then I just spent like an hour and a half just practicing spinning for a serve and just like making sure I was like getting better. And then by the end, I was like spinning balls and it was like hitting the other side of the table. And I was like, yeah, I was getting really like invested. And I was like, oh my God, it's 8 p.m. I have to go. Like I've been here since like (laughs) two. (laughs) And so it it was really funny because I just think I have this maybe stubborn competitive spirit where when I like start doing something, I really like go 100% into that thing, whether it's climbing or like ping pong or whatever it is, I'm just like really determined to do it and do it well. And maybe that's also a little bit of perfectionism. Um, I was the same way with academia. I like was getting A's, all A's in college and stuff like that. So, and like top of my class, I had to be like, I don't know. It's really intense. I'm, I'm quite intense of a personality as like bubbly and happy as I am. I, I can be really, really intense. <laughs> Yeah, I think that combination is so interesting because on your channel, I mean, and even talking to you now, you come off as just so goofy and and fun. Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe it's not immediately intuitive that those things can go together, but they obviously can. I see that in you and, and that's kind of a, it's a unique and interesting combination. Yeah, I think, I think comedy is really lovely. I, I like go to comedy shows. I've always been a comedy buff and you have to be so witty like for improv and Again, it's another thing that I might even be competitive about, which is like if someone says something, I'm like right there saying something funny or like in classes, just like making a quip as fast as I could. Um, So that could even be seen as a comedy form, like a, I don't know, an intensity of its own. Oh, I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I also (laughs) am like very like engaged in conversation and trying to just like get the most out of uh, life and things that happen. So I do like to take things not so seriously, though. I don't know. It is it is a balance, and I'm I'm learning how to find it and where to strike that between being so serious and intense and wanting to get better, but also having a fun, goofy session where it's just like you fall, you laugh, you get back up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean that that is kind of where I wanted to head next with with my next series of questions is what does balance look like for you? Because I I think I have a little bit of that like you know, I have to lash myself. I have to like suffer and kind of be miserable in pursuit of like getting better at the things that I care about. Um, that like, you know, it's never good enough. I always want to be challenged and and that can be, that serves me in a lot of ways, but it can also make me a little bit miserable if I'm not careful. And I think be, it can be counterproductive if I'm not careful because I'm just pouring energy outward and never, you know, taking a step to the side to kind of relax and and recharge what does that look like for you what are the things that just feel totally uncomplicated for you like you don't you do them just to enjoy them to rest to relax not to get better at them do you have any things like that (laughs) not to get better at them is like the key yeah thing here because a lot of things i do i do to get better at um but i i mean i love to read uh and listen to audiobooks and i i don't do that to get better at anything. Although I do sometimes look up vocabulary (laughs) just to like know what the words are. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'll read in Spanish or listen to things in Spanish um, just to practice that. So uh, it's like every little thing I'm thinking of because I like to write as well. Like I write poetry, I write journal entries. I'm just, and I like to make art um, a lot of the time. Like I'll make, like this is like a coaster I made from North Wales. (laughs) 
What it's is like that really made nice. of? That is cool. It's um yeah, it has some cobalt in it. It's made of slate, and so I like chipped chipped it to make it coaster sized. Um, but anyways, so I'm like always kind of doing things that I feel like are creative, um, but I also like to get better at creative things. That's mm-hmm. a really tough question, and maybe that's one of the things I have to work on as well. Um, just taking time for myself and relaxing. I'm really bad at meditating. I'm really bad at staying still. And I always have been. <laughs> um, I've been really fidgety as a kid. I, I was constantly getting like taken out of sports in class because I couldn't sit still, especially sports. Like I would be so active, like too active. And and um, coaches were like, she can't actually um, participate in the sport. So my mom would take me to like different sports, <laughs> dance, like three different dance dance classes that I went to, like gymnastics, swimming. I got kicked out of Taekwondo because I couldn't sit still. Um, yeah. So it's always been, <laughs> I've been a busy person my whole life, really. Yeah. I'm yeah. just having this thought, like maybe it's actually a good <laughs> thing that you have the passion for slab climbing that you do, because that's one area of climbing where you can just climb more and more and more and more and not run up against like the overuse injuries that we get, especially as like, you know, early athletes and fingers being the limiting factor in things. Cause you started relatively late, right? You started like 16 years old with climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Have, is still early, but yeah. you know, after puberty, after kind of when biologically it might help. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you didn't start at age six on like a, you know, on a comp team or whatever. Um, right. Have you ever gotten an overuse injury from too much slab climbing? Is that is that possible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you? <laughs> Actually, that's really funny because I have, I've gotten one injury from slab climbing and it was, uh, a lot of people don't know this. It was during once upon a time while I was projecting that I actually sprained my big toe on my right foot. Like because of all the standing on the slab, my like big toe was totally swollen and it hurt like hell. And I put my shoe on and nearly cried. And then I sent once upon a time. Oh, and that wow. was like my third attempt of the day. So each of those attempts, I was like holding back tears to get my shoe on. And I was every single step was so painful. Um, but you can't really see that in my face. Or if you do, you kind of maybe interpret it as fear as well. But there was like a constant pain happening during oh my that gosh. entire hour of climbing. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that you... stayed for a year. That was for bad. Year, like because I didn't take any time off and it lingered and it was like totally manageable. And then now it's, it's finally gone, but it stayed for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How did you sprain your toe? Just from standing on the slab for too long. Okay. You sprained it on the climb just from climbing and then you just continued to climb and send it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> will you uh, <laughs> will you provide a little more context for what that climb oh, is? I, I you know I know what it is. I've seen your video. Um, sure. But yeah, fill in the context for people listening. Right. Um, this was like my uh, my first hard trad lead. It was in Devon, England, so the UK. It's this beautiful rhyolite sea cliff that is a pure slab for fifty meters, and God, it that's goes so at long. Oh my gosh. E nine sixty. And it has like fickle gear and the rhyolite rock. If you ever climbed on rhyolite, you know that the rock is very, yeah, fickle is the best word for it. It can fall apart. So that makes the gear placements a bit tricky. And you might have seen it on, I I forget what real rock it is, but Hazel sends it as the first woman to climb E9. Spice Girl, I think is that. Yeah. Spice Girl is that segment. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that's the climb that I chose to do. <laughs> and and that's where I sprained my toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I want to um I want to make our way towards slab training. Um that's actually something oh, yeah. that people are are relatively fascinated with as far as you go. I got quite a few questions from listeners for you, and that was something that popped up a couple times was is it possible to train like in the conventional sense? Obviously, we can practice slab, um, but is it possible to train for slab? And I had asked you this in our pre-interview, and I was delighted that the answer was yes. And I'm I'm really excited to hear <laughs> more about that. But maybe we should slowly kind of make our way there and talk first about Tom Randall, <laughs> your your relationship with Tom Randall. How is it that that came about? Um, yeah. Yeah. I love Tom. I love climbing with Tom. Um, we, we were linking up in the UK for a YouTube video. And the reason I was in the UK was because I, like I mentioned, I'd moved to Barcelona, Catalonia, um, and my visa ran out. So I was in the UK to kind of get time back (laughs) for the Schengen region. I don't know if anyone's traveled, you'll know that you can only be in like the EU and Schengen region for 90 days every 180 days. So I had a year visa when I moved there and then I ran out of the 90 days. And so then I went to the UK and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm starting a YouTube channel. It's going kind of well, like, you know, it's gaining a little bit of traction, still really small. I'll reach out to the wide boys and see if they want to collab with me. And Tom was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I'm so excited. Like, (laughs) this is going to be so much fun. And then I am not really a planner. I'm very sporadic in how I do just about everything as far as travel goes. And so I realized that I procrastinated way too much and all of the hostels were totally booked out in Sheffield. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I get to climb with the wide boys. I get to climb with Tom, but I actually have nowhere to stay. And so I was like thinking about my options. I was like, oh my God, I don't even know this person. This is gonna be so embarrassing. But I just called Tom and I said, hey, like, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I like don't have a place to stay. Is it possible if I crash on your couch? Like I just, I planned this badly. I didn't book a hostel in time. And he was like, no problem. And then the next thing I know, I was just living at his house for a month straight. <laughs> and we were like climbing partners, project together. I never moved out. Like I just came with all my things. And then he took me to his project, which was once upon a time. And we realized that we climbed really well together. And it was really solidified by the end of that month of projecting and, and Tom works too. So this is like a month, but it's like, you know, extended weekends sort of situation. And by the time it came for both of us to lead it, um, we both took the same number of attempts on that day, on the last day, on the leading day. And we both fell at the same exact spots on the first two attempts. And then we both sent on the third oh, attempt. Oh, wow. And it was just this magical, like, we just like, had this connection where we were linking up perfectly and we just were thriving off of each other's attempts. Like, oh my God, you made it to the crux. That's amazing. And then I made it to the crux. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then you sent it. Oh my gosh. And then I sent it. And it was just the most magical ride back. We were both exhausted because we spent how many hours on the slab. And it's scary, you know, it like drains you emotionally. And Pete was there too. And we were all just like, it was just so beautiful. And we're like, okay, cool. Like we'll, we'll be climbing partners now that that finalizes it. That's amazing. When was that? Yeah. What year was that? That was in 2021. I believe September maybe. Okay. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Maybe it was October. And then it was it was in 2021. 
Okay. And then did you, was that the, was that part of the film that I saw the queen line or did you go back and have another trip? Yeah. So after that, I went back and I climbed the route just to the right of once upon a time. Got it. Which, um, although it's, it's given still E960, the same grade as once upon a time, in my opinion, it was, um, a more dangerous, harder version of once upon a time. And it was like kind of my natural next step. I'm like, okay, I did once upon a time. That was terrifying. I kind of fumbled my way through everything. If you've seen the video, I have major, <laughs> major problems with gear because I don't know how to set it. So it's all falling out. <laughs> yes. And then I did it. And that was like, <laughs> thank God. Right. And I yeah. started crying at the top of it. I was like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. But when I went back for walk of life, it was kind of like a, okay, I know the sea cliff. This is the harder, more dangerous, bolder less protected route to the right of it. I'm, I'm going to do this one and I'm going to do it right. And I did it right. I like went back with Tom um, and I just projected it to like, it's hard to, like I had so much more competence when it came to placing gear and the whole projecting process that I knew exactly what steps I needed to take in order to send it mm. or, or at least to, to lead it. And then when I got to the leading day, I was so calm, so collected, so confident. And it just like was such an enjoyable climb to do. And I just feel like I really like came back and, and felt like capable. Mm. Yeah. So that was kind of the progress. And that's the video that you see in Queen Lines. Yeah. How much later was that? That would have been a year later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's like awesome. the same season. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to fill in a little bit more context for people listening. So the sea cliff, um, yeah, if you've all seen that real rock with Hazel Finley, Spice Girl, you will have, you, you'll know what, we, what we're talking about. It's like this massive slab and it's trad climbing, but you're not crack climbing. You're whittling, you're, you're fiddling in tiny little nuts and, you know, sliders and whatever else in these little cracks as you're just climbing up a slab. A lot of them are horizontal yeah. slots and little pockets and things like that. It just looks absolutely terrifying. Um, oh, but we will fact, go ahead. Sorry, just to add in there yeah. too, we used sky hooks on Oof. on the walk of life as well at the beginning because it wasn't protected until about 40 feet up. And oh so we had sky hooks for the first crux just to like add context too, because this is so cool. It was like the first time I'd used sky hooks and then it suddenly wasn't cool because I was like, oh gosh, we're using sky hooks. <laughs> 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 yeah, and for for people listening, if you don't know what that is, it's that that gear is only meant for aid climbing. Um, it's only meant to be like actively weighted. You're like literally putting a little metal hook on an edge, and if you climb above it and the rope flicks at all, it might just fly off the edge. There's nothing keeping it in anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Batman. Like imagine when he like goes. Yeah, it's, a, and he, like, it's like yeah, exactly. It's over. like a one yeah. inch tiny little grappling hook. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just like you were talking about gear. I was like, oh, I didn't mention the coolest part. Like we like whittled dude. in this broken pecker, which is just another metal piece. Basically, we whittled in this metal piece into this tiny little hole and we're like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I will link to the Once Upon a Time video, Anna's video in the show notes for you guys. And then I'll put a trailer to the Queen Line, which is a Brit rock film that I don't think is widely available yet. I was able to watch it during the premiere, but its I don't think it's widely available yet, but you guys can keep an eye on that because it's awesome. It's so much fun. Such a fun film. Yeah. Oh, it was so much fun to make too. Yeah. How long does I it... I feel like... Go ahead. Go, go for it. 
Oh, me? Okay. Oh, I just <laughs> felt like Al captured just so much humor and joy in mm. the climbing as well, which I really appreciated. Mm, it comes through. Yeah. yeah. How long does it take to climb a 50 meter slab when you sent either of those or yeah, either of those yeah. routes? How long are you on the wall for? Um, for the walk of life, I know I was on the wall for a while. I was, it was an hour, I think an hour straight, which I, okay. So I feel like that was a long time. And it, and when you're on the wall, it feels like even longer. It feels like you're on there for like multiple hours. It, it felt like I was there all day. Mm. Um, and a lot of that, I, I did climb the walk of life fast or sorry, I climbed the walk of life slower than I climbed once upon a time. And most of that is me telling my anxious kind of um, like, I can't sit still self to rest even longer at the rests. And I even told Tom beforehand, I said, if I'm at one of the rests and it looks like I'm going to head out before I've waited enough time, can you just yell at, at me and be like, rest more, you know, I'm like, because in my head I get like, you know, I get bored and then I just like want to do things and I'm fiddling and I'm just like, I can't stand still. And so I really like forced myself to take extra long rests. And it actually helped that Al was filming from above. He was on a static above me and, or, and even next to me. And so whenever I was at a rest, he was like, okay, I'm going to jug up. And so I had to wait for him to jug up too. And it was like, good. Cause it was like a distraction. And mm. I would just like, wait and be like talking to him. I was pretty chilled throughout, throughout. I would say I was talking to Al kind of the whole time. Um, while I was resting, I was just like, how's it going there? How are you sit? Like, are you feeling good? And he's like, what? He's like, how are you doing? He's like, focus on the time. I'm like, no, it's okay. I need a distraction. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you said something interesting a second ago. You said, you know, coming back the second time, you just, you knew so much more about the whole process, how to project something like that as a way of sharing some of your wisdom with everyone listening if they're interested in in you know dangerous headpoint trad climbing or just projecting <laughs> oh, gosh. in general yeah um what were some of those big lessons what did you learn from the first round that you you really noticed coming back in the second for the second round yeah if we want to get really nerdy and analytical that's my favorite cuz i feel like i had this equation and i was like okay amazing i had um i had a week to to project it so I first broke up my days into projecting days with rests. And then towards the end, I was like, in my last day on, you know, I had a Sunday to Sunday. So on that last Sunday, I knew I was going to have to rest on Saturday if I wanted to, you know, in theory, if I was going for the send that week. Um, and, and then I kind of worked backwards from there. And so once I had that template, I was like, okay, great. Now it's time to project first. It's about just basically doing a bunch of top rope, like shunting, um, solo climbing on this route and just like figuring out the climb. And in order to do that, I broke up the climb into parts, into sections, which I kind of go into in the movie Queen Lines. But I had, I had kind of felt like it was a book and a story. And so I kind of made up a story to go with the climb. And that helped me remember the movements and feel a flow. So I had chapter one, two, three, four, and then an epilogue. So those were my five parts. <laughs> And then I would just like tell the story to myself uh, every day, basically every night. So it was just a week. So it was like really concerted efforts, right? And there were like little tick points that I knew I had to hit. I was like, okay, by my third day projecting on the climb, 
I really want to be able to link all of the chapters together clean on a top rope without placing gear, just just the moves, you know, just the movements. And if I can do that, then I'll be ready for the next step. And I just kind of took it like checkpoint by checkpoint. And so once I physically could do all of the moves in a row on a shunt, um, I was like, okay, cool, time to figure out gear. And so then the next day I went down and I figured out gear, or at least, you know, first round of figuring out gear and where I would place them. And I like really like sat in the positions and like practiced placing them because that's an important thing you have to go through. And that was kind of the goal of that day. And then the next session, I was like, okay, great. Now I have to link it from the bottom to the top while placing the gear. And it has to feel really good. Like there can't be a moment where I don't feel good. Otherwise that's going to delay my process. And And I'll just take that into- This is still on a shunt for this? You're like practicing- This is still on a shunt. Yeah, I'm basically solo climbing the whole time just because I'd spend hours on the wall, Mm. like doing this. and it's hard to have someone bully you, especially on something that long, because it is 50 meters. We didn't like a specially made rope. And so I would just, yeah, spend all day. And the next check mark was being able to do the climb while placing gear twice in a row. And then once I got there, I practiced the sky hooks because that was harder to do. And then I felt like I was ready for the lead. Um, but there was one more thing right before the lead. I went down and I looked at all the gear again. and. I memorized out of the, you know, the pieces I placed where I would put my right rope and my left rope, because for once upon a time I crossed my ropes and I was like, uh, uh-uh, this is not happening again. So I was like, this is right, right. You know, like, and I just like memorized left, left, right, right. So I had a story. I physically knew I could do it. I had all my placements planned and it was just like this progression that felt so logical that by the time I got to the send day, I was just like, yeah, okay, cool. We did it. I did all the steps. I checked off all the boxes. I'm just going to do this now. There was like not much emotion involved in this project. Whereas once upon a time, I was clearly like overcome with emotion, had to like fight a lot of fears on the wall because I just like wasn't as prepared and Mm. didn't know where to put the ropes, you know, right or left over my foot, under my foot. On once upon a time, I even asked Pete, I was like, do I have to put my foot over the ropes? And he was just like, taking the video he's like oh my god he's like yes like you have to like don't get your foot under the rope like you can't do that and it was just like i just didn't know the basics of climbing on you know Mm. over gear so yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) that i went so analytical i I love it we drew it out no i have the climb i have even more questions (laughs) this is amazing um i loved the chapter breakdown because that's in the that's in the film in the queen lines film yeah um, you know, and I'm used to breaking down a climb and thinking of thinking of it in sections, but just using even just using the word chapters and thinking of it like a book was was so different and so fun to me. And then the names. Um that was really fun too. <laughs> Do you remember the names of all the chapters yeah. off the top of your head? Take me oh, through. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, so the first chapter is the spicy hook. And <laughs> I think that's funny for a lot of reasons, not only because we're using sky hooks. Um, it's like you get there. And it's immediately really challenging climbing, you know, like more challenging than you want it to be without gear um, for 40 feet. And you have no gear, like you just have sky hooks. So it really like, is just like, bam. It's like, if you're reading a book, it's the first chapter that like throws you in the middle of the action. That's all like, let's rewind and see how we got there. You know, <laughs> then it takes you to chapter two, nice. <laughs> you know, like it's a good book. You're like, oh, yeah. I want to know how it like got murdered or whatever just happened. <laughs> And then chapter two is like, okay, let's do some character development. Like it's not the most exciting, but it's necessary. So this is like all slots 
good gear, not so much gear, but good gear, you know, like, um, we're not talking about fiddling in RPs or micro cams. We're just like, okay, wait, they are zeros, I guess. But like, compared to the rest of the route, it's good gear. <laughs> and that's chapter two. So mm -hmm. it's like steady character development. And then you go to chapter three. And that's like the the meat, the juice of the whole book, because this is when like, now you, you know, you're hooked in, you, you got that development. And now you have to like try hard consistently. There's this traverse section that requires full attention. It is very much a crux of the route and it's sustained. So it's not, it's not like there's one crux move. It's just like a big section of really difficult climbing and placing gear pieces that are, are really fickle and hard to place well. And so you have to just like be fully concentrated, locking off, placing these nuts and cams as well as you can. And that's chapter three ends on two triangles what was the name of chapter it, three again i called it the juice the juice okay <laughs> the juice or the meat of it yeah the juice um and then chapter four is kind of that's the conclusion of the book um that's where the physical crux is actually there's a lot of bearing down on crimps and that's basically what i called the conclusion because it's like the final test it's like you've gotten through the juice you've gotten through this whole novel you're like ready for it to end and there's just like one last thing in order for the book to kind of feel like like it's a book and and it has it it has this like beautiful physical crux of pure crimping hard so hard i was like ah on my fingers are like tiny little like two mil crimps Oof. and then it was really but you're on slab so you know you get more out of the holds kind of <laughs> and, and then <laughs> and then you place this like you do a little traversing you know you finish off the book and then you place this monster piece in a crack like you could build an anchor in this crack like you're just like oh my god i am so safe and then after that you run it off to the top and the top i called the epilogue because you have this amazing piece under you now you're totally in a safe zone you have one tricky balancey step up move but then you're kind of just on your way out. And this is when I would joke to Tom about being like, you know, like 10 years later, Tom and Anna opened up their own, you know, cookie store. And like, it's just like the epilogue, like everything's like rounding out in the story. This is like the 20 years later and you just kind of enjoy it. And then, <laughs> and then that's, that's the walk of life. That's, that's life. <laughs> <laughs> that's life. Well, that's, thank you. That's, it's really fun to hear you break that down because like so many things in climbing, you know, so many metaphors, there's so many things in climbing that are metaphors for life. And also so many things in climbing are totally relevant to completely different forms of climbing. Like I can adopt your chapter, it's just the way you're breaking this down and thinking about it to my bouldering project, you know, if I want to, or to my sport climbing project. And I think that's, totally. that's just really fun yeah. to hear how you think about it. Just keeps it, I don't know, just, just adds, even just using that language, I think adds like, a lightness and, and kind of an element of like, we're doing something fun and playing versus like crux one, crux two, section three. You know what I mean? Totally. I really liked it. I liked all the jokes that came from it too. It just, mm. yeah, it made it so enjoyable. Like the whole process was wonderful. And even if it hadn't ended, ended in ascend, I think I would have still gotten so much out of that experience. Like I don't ever feel like I'm wasting time when I'm climbing, if I'm having fun and learning. That's awesome. I mean, it was nice to send. <laughs> yeah, of course. Nice, but of like, course. you know, of course, I mean, I'm not going to be like, the send doesn't matter. It was awesome. And that's definitely the goal. But yeah. yeah, it made the whole process so fun. Yeah. 
And the preparation thing too, I really resonate with that. And I feel like that is one of those kind of rules of, of life, you know, laws of nature sorts of things where, I mean, I, I, the first thing that I thought of when you mentioned it, when you mentioned like going for the send on the second climb versus the first one, you were so much less nervous. There was so much less emotion there because you were prepared. I feel that way with interviews. Like if I spend a lot of time preparing and have good questions, I'm so much less nervous than if I'm, if I rushed the prep, you know, if I'm like a little bit behind on things and, you know, don't feel as solid about my outline or things like that. And, and, and everything else, you know, it's, I feel like good training preparation going into a season has always made me feel like my mental game is really on point just because I, I know I've like taken care of all the physical things and I can just like focus on the climbing. That was a beautiful segue into training. <laughs> See what I did there? That was really lovely. I and, totally get that though. Like <laughs> preparation, confidence, it makes such a difference. <laughs> yeah. So that's a perfect lead in into toe training. Yeah. That was beautifully <laughs> executed. I, I I feel like you were so prepared for this interview too. I Thank feel like you. that was like the perfect lead in. Um, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Being prepared for things, being prepared for interviews, being prepared for life and what it's throwing at you, I think is so valuable. And um, I know we keep kind of comparing the two, like once upon a time in the walk of life. But I think it is great to even have this perfect comparison of two climbs next to each mm, other. Because yeah. Whereas uh, in the once upon a time send, I mentioned that I sprained my toe and that like was bad and I did not like that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, cool. What am I going to do to prepare for walk of life? So I don't like re-sprain my toe. And that's kind of where it started. So I said, okay, cool. Toe training. <laughs> and um everyone laughed and Tom did too. And then Tom was like, you know, you might be on to something. And I'm like, I know, I think I am. I think I need to toe train. So this kind of started with me first exploring how to train toes, uh, which is something I hadn't really asked myself in the past. No one has asked themselves that. <laughs> I know. It was so silly. But it makes but was, so much sense. That's why I'm so excited to talk about this. Because I'm like, oh my God. You know, even like yeah. another thing I want to talk to you about at some point, I, I don't mean to derail you, but like the 9C test and how it is that you're able to climb as hard as you have given the results of that test. And I think yeah. toe training must be a part of it. I mean, the only logical conclusion is that toes are <laughs> the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. Just everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there's so many things as far as training goes where, where I feel like training is a great way to improve certain elements of strength, like finger strength, shoulder strength. You know, there's so many amazing ways that training can benefit your climbing, but I don't necessarily think that the training tools we use are always a great assessment of how strong you are at climbing. Totally. Um, and then this is like my friend who's, who's a climbing coach. He was like kind of explaining to me cause I asked him after that nine C challenge, like, okay, my finger strength, like obviously is not that good uh, compared to what you might think and what you might expect. And he was like, yeah, like it's not a great assessment. It's a big edge. Like you mainly climb on tiny micro edges. Um, you're not usually putting a lot of weight on your body because you're usually on slabs and vert. He's like, it's just not a good assessment of your pure finger strength. And 
when I do hangs, I actually, my shoulders are the first to give out. Mm. Um, I've identified it as something I want to improve. So now I'm starting to train my shoulders and, and pecs and stuff, but it's, it's not my, it's not testing my finger strength, if that makes sense. And so in order to better test my finger strength, probably the best way would be to be pulling from the ground, Mm. um, and doing a micro edge. So I don't know how we could, I mean, there's definitely pulley systems to do this, right. Or like, like ways to measure how much force you're pulling and then to put it on a tiny little edge. And that would be a better representation. And I've actually done other kind of guess what I'm climbing tests online. And there's a really cool one online that I found. And I did this YouTube video on it where you can kind of toggle how wide your edge is and put weight or not weight and then put how long you're, you know, you hang from it. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me try to hang from the eight mils and see how long I can hang. And I wasn't hanging at all. I wasn't training at all. And I was like, I hung like 20 seconds, I think from the eight mils. And I was like, cool. And that like, put my scores way up and they're like, oh, you should be climbing what you're climbing. And I'm like, great. And then when I put it on the 20 milliliter edge, it's like, maybe you should climb V6. And I was like, oh, yikes, that's quite (laughs) off. (laughs) So I think it's just, it's different. It's hard to, it's hard to, to understand from just physical assessments, how hard someone's climbing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to add a little bit of context. I, yeah, I'm noticing that there's like a few question marks that I have that I, um, that I want to button up just for people listening that don't know what we're talking about. So the 9C test, I just threw that out there because one of Anna's videos is her doing this 9C test um, with Pete Whitaker. And I think it was first developed by Stian Christofferson and Martin Morbrotten, I think, who have been on the podcast. I think it was them. Um, but they did they did it with uh, Magnus Mippo and tested his strength, and that's when it got all this attention. But it's this kind of arbitrary way of assessing your climbing strength. It's purely just strength. It's not taking technique into account and saying, if you can hit this sort of number, this is how hard you can expect to climb. So they test your finger strength on a 20 mil edge. They test your weighted pull up, how long you can hang from two hands on a bar uh, without shaking out, your core strength via a front lever or an L-sit. Anything else? Is that all? No, those are the four tests. Those are the four tests. So it's purely physical. And what Anna's saying is that when she did that test on an eight mil edge, which is much smaller, so you're hanging with less weight, but on tiny, tiny crimps, all of a sudden her results were a lot more in line with how hard she climbs. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that was from another test. Like Magnus just did those four Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. exercises and just used the 20 mil. But I think that there's definitely ways to, to better and more scientifically measure timing skill with just other exercises. I mean, we haven't even gotten into flexibility right? or yeah, just intuition on the wall. Like how good are you at reading and finding the right beta? That's going to be as efficient as possible. Cause that makes a huge difference on how hard you climb too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Where were we? Toe training. Toe training. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So you said, you said you didn't, you needed to learn how to train your toes. I think that's something that you said. Um, everyone's looking at you skeptically. Yeah. Take it from there. Yeah. Um, and so the first thing I could think of was to go onto a step and kind of hang my toes off. So just like, so just the toes are on, but nothing else, if that makes sense. So not the pad of your foot, but just like your, are you barefoot? I was barefoot. Yeah. Okay. And then I would sink my heels as low as possible and then rise them up as high as possible. 
And that sounds so hard. So you're, you're, by... you're doing calf raises essentially, but just on your toes. Just on my toes. Wow. And it's still working the calves. And then I got to the point where, and you can totally try this also at home where I, where I was doing it with one foot only and I wasn't holding on to anything for stabilization. So it suddenly became like, I mean, this ballerina-esque exercise where you're just going on point and then down. And it was like, it's pretty hard. Like if you try that on one foot to go all the way down, all the way up and like do that 10 times or something without touching any wall or any railing for stabilization, it becomes really, really tricky, really fast. And when I was doing this, I was like, okay, who needs their toes? Like what kind of athletes use their toes a lot? And the first thing that came to mind was ballet. So I looked up a bunch of ballet workouts and balancing workouts with ballet. And I was like, okay, that's really cool. And I started implementing different core leg and toe exercises and noticed that some ballerinas do a lot of kind of leg exercises, but on their tippy toes. So all of a sudden you're doing squats, but you're on your tippy toes or you're kind of like tapping your toe, you know, in a circle around your body, but you're also on your toes on your other foot, you know, like, so a lot of balancey strength things that involve and incorporate the toes. And then another group that uses their toes a lot and ankle stability is actually uh, people who do parkour. So I reached out to some people who did parkour, like toe exercises and they didn't laugh <laughs> and they were like 100%. No like, way. You can get, <laughs> yeah, they're like, put a towel on the ground and just curl your toes under them and try to gather the towel. And you can do this with one foot or two feet. Whoa. And so every day brushing my teeth, I would put um, like just the bath mat that I have on the ground or like a towel if I'm traveling. And I would just for two minutes, twice a day, um, do toe curls. <laughs> Are you, <laughs> is, this, is this like a strengthening thing or just like a dexterity practice of learning how to grab with your toes? I, it's like, it's like motion. And I would say strength depending on like you, you'll get pumped out on the front sides of your calves too. Okay. Cause you're like extending. It's like your extensors mm -hmm. are also working. It's like the whole range of motion and strengthening that. And it's harder than you think. Like, it's, no, I'm, it is sure it, do it. like I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Okay, cool. I'm going to have such healthy, strong toes. And then a last <laughs> exercise you can do for toes is <laughs> <laughs> is uh push-ups but just on one single toe so you Whoa. can like just lift off one foot and then put just your big toe on the ground and do a push-up there and then switch feet and or you know do as many reps as you want but that's another way to just train that big toe okay so you're in a push-up position one foot is just normal like ball of your foot and then the other foot you're only using your big toe is that right well the normal foot you lift off actually. So you're literally only on. Oh, you're literally toe. only on one toe. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Oof. And that yeah. was nice because that could also train um, like the shoulder peck, you know, area that I was saying I, <laughs> I, I want to train. So that's nice. It's a two in one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you think you have some of the strongest climber toes in the world? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Just because it did get sprained. Like, I think it was a point of weakness. So I think I'm mm. trying to catch it up, but maybe, I mean, I have strong toes. I do spend a lot of time on slab climbs. Yeah. I mean, most like, people can't yeah. stand on little micro edges for an hour, you know? I mean, even most like yeah. very strong climbers would find that really hard. I mean, Tom, like this is a project for him and Tom's climbed so, so many hard things and has trained forever. So. Yeah. When he kept pumping out his calves, I looked at him and I was like, Oh, 
I'm like, someone hasn't been doing their toe training. <laughs> Did he start doing it? Tom was on a different thing because I think he was like, okay, I understand how toes are going to help you. He's like, but the thing that's most going to help me is flexibility for this mm. time. So he was on a flexibility kick and he got so much more flexible, like sweet, incredibly like every, <laughs> I joke about it, but everyone who climbs with me, like the next day they're stretching, you know, I'm like <laughs> so hyper flexible that people just do that. And I catch them and I'm like, that's so funny. Even if it's just like yeah. someone who I like offered to switch, like, you know, to swap catches with outside. Like, oh, do you want to swap a catch? And then, like, the next day, see him at the climbing bar or whatever. And they're just, like, stretching. I'm just <laughs> dying laughing. I'm like, without fail. Like, <laughs> Is it because you talk about how much stretching helps your climbing? Or is it just from them watching no, how you climb? Just watching me. Yeah, wow. I don't really talk about my flexibility just because it's kind of like... Well, I think a lot of people are kind of grossed out by it sometimes just because I like hyperextend everywhere. So when I climb, mm. like I'll go past the splits and I'll like Whoa. put my body in ways that kind of look contortionist like. Mm. And I think people are just like, oh my God. And then they see me take my hands off and they're like, wait, how did you do what? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'm resting at your, you know, at, at a hard move because I can get my flexibility and like use it to my advantage. Mm. And I think that really, that's another thing that really helps me. I, I mean, if I'm resting in places without my hands, in places where people are holding on tight like just imagine how that changes the physical demand of the climb and mm -hmm. that's another reason why maybe the magnus mitbo 9c test isn't a great representation because i i have these tools that i'm using that aren't so measurable yeah love that yeah and should be and should be valued more highly in climbing you know it's it's awesome that you have have gotten to a place where you're like, yes, I can embrace that. This is something I love, what I want to be better at, et cetera. But I think so many, especially dudes are so quick to, I mean, I'm guilty of this or have been guilty of this thinking that, you know, climbing is a strength thing and always comes back to that. And I don't know. I, I think there's also like a tendency in climbing to over emphasize being a well-rounded climber and like you're only a, a good climber if you're a well-rounded you can do everything climber and that's pretty unfair there's so many different ways to be a good climber and everyone has a different body and different superpowers and that's awesome yeah and i've talked extensively about this to tom and and kind of like you mentioned i've been on this journey of kind of really embracing what i love and you know doing the whole slab thing <laughs> slab is sexy slab is amazing and and really you know loving that but it took some time because I do, I do get some, or I felt like I was getting judgment for being so bad or, you know, weak at climbing in comparison to what people maybe expected me to. And I think that's always bad when the things that are making you feel bad are very like external. It wasn't like internally charged. I was like, oh my God, I just feel bad. And it's slowly been this process of a wanting to do it for myself and being like, okay, I want this challenge. I like this on this discomfort and I like being new at this sport and it's not for anyone else. It's because I want to and finding that kind of internal motivation and also just being like, okay, I, I, I happen to be pretty good at slabs. What happens if I train this, if I lean into this, if I try really hard in this, like mm, what can happen then? Like, and <laughs> I think it's really valuable to take the things you're good at and try to be great at them mm. because if not, I feel like you're, missing out on an opportunity that's almost been like handed to you. Like, I'm like, I love this thing. I've poured so much effort and time into this thing. What if I do a little bit more and just kind of lean into that 
I mean, that happiness really, right. It kind of feels a little like hedonistic, but it's like, no, I'm good at this. I want to be good at, I want to be the best at this. Yeah. And, and then talking to Tom about it too, he's like, yeah, like imagine having the strongest fingers ever or something. And then being like, well, I already have strong fingers. So I'm going to go train all of my weaknesses now for a year and just not focus on fingers. And he's like, but imagine if you still trained your fingers (laughs) Mm. and like, you know, like took a, maybe didn't train your weaknesses as much as if you just dedicated a year to it. And he's like, but not only would you get slowly, but surely better at your weaknesses, you'd also be pushing the frontier for your finger strength or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, how are we supposed to push to the next level if we're not specializing? So that's something I've kind of grown to, to embrace. And I have been getting a lot better at my weaknesses, but over a lot of time and I'm, I'm knowing it's okay. That's a slower journey because I'm taking time to have my slab days and to do my slab training and to do my weird, you know, ballet dance thing, (laughs) whatever I I come up with uh, to be the best as I can be at this one style. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's special. Yeah, no, I, I love hearing how you think about that. I think that's awesome. And I think, I mean, this has been a little bit of a theme on the show recently, but leaning into superpowers and balancing that with working weaknesses, I think is so... Um, I'm I'm feeling really drawn to that personally lately. Like that's something I've underappreciated is what could I be absolutely excellent at? You know, I've always just kind of like taken my strengths for granted almost and like, no, but I suck at this. I suck at this. I need to work on this. I need to work mm-hmm. on this. I've never leaned into them. Um, and you're, yeah, everything that you're saying is is ringing really true for me. And it, it sounds exciting. It sounds fun. I'm like, oh, I don't have to only suffer to try to get better at climbing. I can embrace What's- the things that I love, you know? What's your superpower? Um, I think shouldery moves. Um, I think I could be a lot better at compression my climbing. <laughs> What's that? That's you, my kryptonite. Your kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like wide compression could be a superpower if I really leaned into it. I think um, burly bicep moves could be a superpower if I really leaned into it. And then I think what I'm probably very best at is like outward shouldery moves where I'm trying to keep my chest in and like push a hold really far away. Ooh, yeah. um, that sort of thing. So bigger, oh, bigger perfect. holds, more like body strength oriented tension e climbing. I think. Yeah, I, I think it it adds another level of positivity as well because in climbing training culture, maybe in all train, I don't know, I don't know other sports and the training cultures, but it seems like if you're always focused on weaknesses, it comes from this like this focal point of negativity because you're starting off with what am I bad at Mm -hmm. rather than starting out with something very positive. Like what am I good at and how cool is it that I'm so good at those things and I can get even better. And then, wow, look, like these other things can also like catch up. I don't, it just feels like a different, like when we reframe it and, and set our mindset to something more positive, it, it feels like we do a lot better as athletes as well. So if you focus on your compression climbs, like maybe you'll jump a grade or two, you know, and, and maybe your other grades for other styles won't follow immediately, but that's, I mean, that's okay. I yeah. It's really cool to succeed. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's another thing I've changed my mind about recently. I think there is a lot of value in breaking through grade barriers in the style that you're best at. Even if it's like, for me, one of my hangups has been like, well, compression climbing yeah, I can probably climb much harder boulder problems if I lean into that, but I'm not going to be able to climb harder sport climbs because that's never the thing that makes sport climbs hard. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you don't get hard compression sport climbs really, um, at least in the States. I ha- 
What's yeah, that? Maybe I, I'm. I'm sure we could do some like heavy research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find like a compressiony bouldery thing with like a bunch of rests, like breaking up. Totally. Sequences, you know. Yeah. Maybe Find I just your, need like, to look. Yeah, maybe I need to be like more selective and just seek out like my superpower climb. Um, oh my but, gosh! But, that's but that's what I'm like. That's what I'm saying. Like I have um a a dock right now. It's my dream board, and it's just filled with my superpower climbs around the world. Like, I, I think there's 14 that. pages on it and it's all stupid tiny crimps and vertical climbs and pictures of the people climbing them and up the wall and then their mountain project. Um, and then I have the, you know, the name, the grade, and then the months that are best to climb. Them wow. I they love are. this. Yeah. This is so, and so it's like, I literally <laughs> so looked cool. at, okay, where, like, what are the most beautiful climbs in my style? And, and beauty is also a part of it. Like, I really like the aesthetic of climbing. So it's like beautiful climbs around the world, like, you know, queen lines. And then now it's just on my dream board and, and it's totally me seeking out my style. It's, it's, there's like one climb on it. That's not my style. And I'm like, but that looks really beautiful and I want to do it, but what is it? Everything else. Oh, it's a, uh, just do it. Oh yeah. It's like half my style. Yeah. I think we talked maybe about it a little bit, but probably cause Smith. that's a dream climb for me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was in Smith and I was able to do the first pitch, uh, fairly quickly, like a oh, nice. four or five goes. Yeah. And, um, and then 13D it kicks for back. people listening. Oh yeah. This 13 D very technical 13 D that I found just like right up my alley, like very, um, very uh, attainable for yeah, me. I yeah. mean, it just happened quite quickly Yeah, and I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I have to try the extension and it kicks back. It's steep. It's crimpy. It's burly. It's hard. And I was like, cool. Adding that to the dream board because it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I really want to do it. And there's a, yeah, I'll add more anti-style climbs to the dream board, but, you know, starting off with like beautiful crimp vertex, like uh, masterpieces, really. I love this. So this is a document on your computer? Yeah. I How shared it you... with Tom too. <laughs> I love that. That's no, that's amazing. I mean, that's great. Cause that gives you some accountability, makes total sense and like shared inspiration. How do you engage with that? Do you look at it every day? Do you look at it like every so often? Or is it just the process of putting it together that kind of cements this these beautiful climbs as goals in your mind? Putting it together was really special. Um, it was kind of half a Christmas gift for Tom as well. So it's like kind of recent. I've always had like the climbs I want to do and we send each other messages um, with like pictures from Instagram or something like, look at this climb, oh my gosh. And we just like have that going on. And I put it in this doc recently and I've been wanting to do this forever. I've been like, sometimes I'll change my phone screen to like the climb my next project, or I'll do things that, you know, really motivate me because it's so beautiful. Like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going back to the, to the once upon a time, like Devon cliff. And I'll have that on my screensaver, just the picture of the cliff and the sunset, just beautiful. Right. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this would be really nice to just put here on this on this Google slide and share it with Tom. I think that's a great idea. So I went through our conversations like the last year and pulled all the climbs that we both were really psyched on. And then I added some of my own to it. And I was like, you can add some of your own to it too. And since I've made it, I've just like looked at it like every day, basically. I'm like, wow. And some of the climbs are like on the list for the season too. So it's nice because I'm like, okay, I'm going there next. I'm going to Austria next. So of course, Princip and uh, Psychoactive are both on there. And then after that, like some UK climbs, like some dream climbs that probably way too hard for me right now, but you know, they're on there and I'm just like, okay, then I'm going to go try this one. And it's just really motivating and inspiring just because it's like, I'm working towards 
being able to climb these beautiful, beautiful lines. And I think that's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna bounce around a little bit. I wanna I wanna take a few okay. step back, a few steps back, because I think that's gonna lead into where we go next. Because <laughs> what I'm curious sure, I'm about in. now okay. is you know, like um you you have you've identified your passion in climbing, what inspires you, what your superpowers are, and you wanna lean into those. Um, and you're also working on weaknesses. So I'm curious what it looks like for you to work your way up to being able to do just do it or some of these other hard dream climbs that are on your list so i think that'd be interesting but i want to take a couple steps back and talk more about toe training here (laughs) (laughs) here what this looked like in um kind of in the context of your climbing like is this something that you focused on for a chunk of time is this something that you do all the time so yeah i'm curious about that but tell me the story about toe training at night at Tom's house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, um, (laughs) well, I'll first answer one of your questions. It was just for a chunk of time before the walk of life, because it's very like specific. And once I sent the walk of life, I was like, okay, toe training can now not be like at the forefront of my training because there's other things that I will benefit more from like, you know, very analytical, but I feel like it makes sense. Like, okay, if I'm going to climb another long slab, I'll start again and I'll just kind of prepare for that project. But I don't think I need to necessarily have strong toes all of the time. I think it's important to like pick priorities, but that's that's a big and very good lesson right there is that, you know, if you identify a weakness and you work on it for a couple months and it improves, that's amazing. You don't have to hammer it forever. Um, and just keep adding more and more things to your, your list. It's okay to like cycle through different priorities. Yeah. It's, it's too much because there's like, you can train every part of your body. Um, and for climbing in theory, every bit is used all of the time. And so it's so overwhelming if you're like, oh my God, I have to train everything all the time. So I, I, I can't do that mentally. And I don't even train really when I'm traveling, unless it's like, you know, specific like this, this kind of toe training, of course, uh, for the walk of life, but it's like, I'm not on a routine. I'm just kind of going by feel, trying to do the best I can while I'm on the road. (laughs) But in one of my toe training chunks of time, I was, well, I was living at Tom's house at the time and we had said goodnight. Like we had eaten dinner. It's like kind of nice. I was like integrated with him and his family. And And like his wife and kids are there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think kids are there. Um, Kim puts the kids to sleep and Tom says bye. They they go upstairs and my room's downstairs. So it's like just pretty separated. You. Yeah. Yeah, okay. they they really did adopt me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so grateful. It was so lovely. Um, and so I went to my room downstairs and Tom and Kim and Sophie and Hannah went to their rooms upstairs. And then I like couldn't sleep. I was kind of like tossing and turning around. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't sleep. I'm just going to go outside and do some toe training. Because <laughs> naturally, what else would I do? So I'm like going out of my room to go to the stairs to do that step calf training that I was telling you I was doing before Walk of Life. And as I go out in the dark, I nearly like trip over Tom, who's doing like this deep lunge squat at the base of the stairs. And I just start laughing. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. So I started doing my flexibility training for walk of life. I was like, well, I couldn't sleep. So I'm going to do my toe training. And we were like both in our PJs and kind of dazed because, you know, both kind of tired trying to sleep, but not it's not working. 
So in silence, like after we acknowledged our presence, like we both went completely silent. We're like, we're just doing our thing. Like we're just going to ignore each other now. And I'm like doing my toe raises on the stairs and Tom's at the base of the stairs, like lunging deeply. And then Kim comes down uh, for a glass of water and like turns on the light and sees us both doing <laughs> exercises like crazy people in the stairwell. And she was like, what? Didn't, didn't you go to bed? Like, wait, what's how Did you talk about this? She was just so confused. And it was the funniest thing because we were both like kind of in the dark, like, you know, with the moonlight coming in. So it's like there was enough light and we both were kind of in sleep mode doing this. And she just like turns on the light and just were there. I thought it was so funny. We're just <laughs> very odd scene to walk in on. I love it. I love that story so much. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. Um, what is it going to, you said in our first conversation, I want to climb all the hardest slabs in the world. Yeah. I love that's that. That's a bold statement. <laughs> I love I it. Love that too. Fuck yeah, it is. It's a bold statement yeah. and I believe you and I think it's sick that that is your, your goal. What is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to, actually, I, maybe, maybe let's start with this. Like how how hard are the hardest slabs in the world? What like, do you have specific climbs and, and kind of benchmarks in mind when you say that? And how do those things compare to where you are now? Yeah, they're quite hard. The hardest slabs are, um, and I am far from that. I'm not doing, I'm not, I don't know how to say this without it feeling like I'm being self-deprecating, but I really don't feel like I'm that strong. Um, and I feel like as far as pro climbers go, and as far as like maybe grades and numbers that are being hit on sport climbs, trad climbs, like I am not at the top and I'm not close to the top level. I just have a lot of stubbornness and maybe a really good mindset, which proves to be you know, um, maybe exceptional on things that require that, but as far as physical ability, and that includes technique and everything, like I'm not there yet and I have a long way to go. And I just think that like sticking to it and kind of making this like really ambitious, audacious goal of being like, I want to climb all the best slabs in the world. I think it's like a good place to start as like, okay, that's like the big dream. And now working backwards, how am I going to get there? And is that possible and then just like kind of telling myself it is possible even though it might not be because I mean they're the hardest slabs in the world I know Adam Andres established two like really hard climbs that go around 15b or so 15a 15b and then um, kind of nearer to the top of my list is a benchmark below that at 14d um, 9a the meltdown which mm. is in slate quarries so I'm moving back to North Wales for a few months just to like get some time on that climb and see how that feels. I've been on it once before and it was shockingly good. Like I was able to do the moves and I think that's a cool like spot to be in to where like, okay, this is going to be really, really freaking hard. I can't do the moves really in a row on my first go. Like it was more like, um, falling up in a way, like going like, oh my God, what am I doing? But it was just like really cool that I could even think of doing a 9A slab and, and actually do the cruxes on a 9A slab first day and feel like, wow, that's wild. I have to go back and rethink my entire, like where I think I am mm, because my confidence cool. at like 8B, you know, and all of a sudden, and then 8A, like I think 
the groove pitch right next to it that I was projecting as 8A. And I know it's a funky, weird pitch. And it's a really awkward climb to do. But if I'm projecting an 8A, it almost seems ridiculous to go then and try a 9A. And I just had to basically put that expectation away and just be like, no, no, you're just playing on it. And like, if you can't do a single move, that's fun too. Like that's good knowledge. Cause if I want to do all the hardest slabs, I'm going to have to put myself out of my comfort zone. So that was a really awesome kind of wake up moment where I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this is actually like within my, this is possible. And I don't know if it's going to be this season, next season, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take maybe a few seasons, but the fact that it's possible. And in my head, I'm like, it's just a matter of time. I just have to keep working at it. I think mm. that's a really cool place to be mentally. And that makes me really excited to try harder slabs and to just push myself more. I, I kind of, my, my goal this year is to dream bigger. And it's funny because from the outside, it probably seems like I'm dreaming pretty big, but I consider myself someone who like, <laughs> who doesn't go out of the comfort zone and who doesn't dream big. And so I think maybe that's also another reason I'm always trying to like do that. Cause I feel like I don't do it enough. So I'm just hmm. like, ah, oh. I haven't been uncomfortable in a long time. Like, I, oh, I'm being so complacent. I just have to like <laughs> do more. I have to dream bigger. And yeah, so that's kind of, those are some ideas in mind and benchmarks to hit. And I'm really excited that I get to hop on it this season. It's going to be so cool just to like do hard moves on slab. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, I know you don't need my validation by any means, but um, from we're, from the outside, you're killing it. Just, I don't know. I love the drive. I think that's so cool, but also like go easy on yourself, you know, like you've, you've done a lot of amazing shit in, <laughs> in very little time, it seems like, um, since kind of finding this niche. Yeah. This last year has been wild. It seems like I've done a big send every month or so, um, which is a lot and, and somehow still doesn't feel like enough. It almost feels <laughs> like I'm making up for lost time of being like, mm. oh my God, I can't believe I was trying to boulder things that weren't in my style for like six years. And then suddenly I got, I was like, oh my God, I should go sport climbing. And that's more vert climbing. Cause obviously like for boulders, if you do vert boulders, it's like really hard because um, you're going up. So the more moves you get, the more highball and dangerous it gets. And that can get mm, tricky as far as bouldering projects go. Cause all of a sudden you might need a rope and then it's like, okay, well maybe I should just start sport climbing. <laughs> it just seemed like yeah. more moves, more possibility for me. And it just really opened my world. I was like, Oh my God. And then trad climbing opens up a whole new world. I'm like, Oh, even more climbs to do and more climbing to do in them. That's interesting. I, I mean, this is going to, I'm probably going to sound so um, stupid saying this out loud that this is like an yeah. epiphany for me right now. Cause it seems so obvious, but I'd never really thought about the fact that to push your limits in bouldering, um, obviously that's always harder if you're looking at like a two or three move thing than like a, you know, a 10 move or 15 move thing where you're linking sections yeah. together. And that's why a lot of the hardest boulders, the V17s for the most part, are these really long things that are lots of moves in a row. I've never really thought about the fact that that's kind of off the table for you if you are a vert or slab climber, <laughs> yeah. because to link a bunch of moves together, it's just going to be super high and dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to like the grand illusion or something, which is like 20 moves long, but you're like four feet off the ground the whole time. That's, yeah, yeah. wow. So, so to, that, to really yeah, push your limits, you have to do like <laughs> three to five really, really insanely hard moves, basically. Yeah. And usually really dynamic moves that like don't quite suit me. And I found mm. it to be 
a really limiting factor because it's like, okay, either it's a dino, you know, um, because it's like a one move wonder, or it's like this big reachy move that might just be a little bit out of my range right now. And it's just like, there's no way to kind of work up to that. And then on top of that, um, the grading for vert climbs and slab climbs in particular is very um, frustrating to say the least. Like it's, I know it's really hard to grade because the physical element is so undescribable, but it does seem like uh, slabs out of all styles of climbing, especially for bouldering, get sandbagged to hell. Like you've been, everyone's been on a V0 slab they can't do. Do you mm. know what I mean? And, and and those are V5, V6, V10, V12 climbers that get shut down on V0, V1 slabs. And you're like, okay, so what does that mean for a V2 slab? And what does that mean for a V11 slab? And um, how, is there a V12 slab? Like how far does slab climbing go? And the answer is probably V12. And if you look at that compared to how far other climbs go, it's it's just its own scale. And I think it mm. doesn't really, people don't see it like that. So hmm. when I climb yeah. something that's like a V10 or a V11 slab, I'm like, no, 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 like this is really hard. And the grade that I'm that it has or the grade that I'm giving it can't possibly describe this because we don't have that system in place. Um, slab doesn't go to V17. It doesn't go right. to 16, 15, 14. It's, right. you know, so I find that a little frustrating as well because I don't think it gets, I think it gets undervalued often because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like the 10 or 11, it's like, oh, you know, V10 or 11 in today's world where a lot of women are climbing V14 now, maybe not a lot, but some are. Yeah. Um, it's well established, you know, some of the guys are climbing V17. It's like, oh yeah, okay. But that's literally one of the hardest of that style in the entire world. That's like right up against the top of the scale. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah, there's a few things. <laughs> well, I mean, as the one who like seeks out these climbs, I can definitely see where it feels like, okay, this is a bit frustrating. And talking to other slab climbers too, it's it's the same with sport climbing. It's like, how do you grade a climb without holds, like for friction slabs? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, find a 514 with, without holds, like a friction slab. And it's the, the difference between 514 and impossible is so difficult to understand. Mm. It's like, like, how do you how do you find that? It yeah. doesn't exist. It's like we need another scale or another way to understand slabs. Yeah. And then the reason that this 9A is really cool, like the meltdown in, in the UK and then also like harder slabs is that, okay, they have some holds so people can kind of understand the difficulty of it a little better. And they're like, oh, that's really hard. We're going to put that at 515 range. But if there's no holds, all of a sudden people are like, hmm, 13D? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, what? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, that is really funny. Yeah, that makes total sense. But yeah, like what would it look like to have a 515 friction slab with no holds? No one knows. Know. Yeah. No one knows. Huh. Maybe that like it just wouldn't even be possible. Yeah, that that's interesting. Huh. But, you know, you've seen a lot of 515s. Right, 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 right. Like, you know what that looks like. Yeah. So it's just... I don't know. It's it's confusing. Um, it makes it harder for me to like pick goals sometimes because I don't know if it's just going to be impossible or totally possible. And we will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some Athletic Greens this morning. I love it. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. Let me tell you what I did this morning. I woke up, I threw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle that I keep in my little van fridge so it's nice and cold. I shook that up and I sipped on that while I made my coffee and was getting ready to sit down and edit this podcast. It's super refreshing. I love starting my day with Athletic Greens because it's refreshing and I love the flavor. And it's nice to have an excuse to sit down and drink some damn water instead of immediately drinking coffee first thing in the morning. But why do I take it aside from it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods. I'm a huge fan of whole foods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. As you all know, I just said this, I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but... It's really hard to do that all the time when you live in a van like I do, or when you travel to some of these remote climbing areas that we all know and love. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. The thing I love about Athletic Greens is that if I take one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered. If you want to try it yourself and see what all the fuss is about, Athletic Greens is going to give you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Those travel packs are super handy for climbing trips. They're awesome. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is also brought to you by Petzl. Today, I want to talk about harnesses. When it comes to harnesses, comfort can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes you want a harness for hard red points or light and fast adventures. And other days, you might want something for long belays and multiple repels. There's no such thing as a perfect harness. The perfect harness is the one that's perfect for you. And you probably do a lot of different stuff. That's why Petzl builds different harnesses for gym climbing, cragging, and alpine adventures using four unique constructions. Frame construction has the traditional fit, comfort levels, and safety features climbers are used to. Endo frame construction provides flexibility and cushion. Fuse frame construction is streamlined yet supportive. And wire frame construction harnesses are breathable and ultra lightweight. So whether you are looking for lightweight performance or plush comfort, Petzl harnesses have you covered. To learn more about Petzl harnesses, visit your local retailer or Petzl's website at petzl.com. Again, you can learn more and shop for Petzl harnesses at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com. Experience the difference with Petzl. Um, I'm going to ask this question from a listener, from a patron. And this will kind of lead us into, I I would love to hear more about how you're thinking about preparing for Meltdown when you go back, whenever it is that you're planning to go back. This is from Jonathan. Jonathan writes, hey, Anna. You're a total beast at hard slab slash vert climbing. It's so cool to see you get psyched on that style of climbing as I feel like climbers who love that are a little underrepresented nowadays. As a climber that enjoys that style and wants to improve, I know that typical training routines like hangboarding and moonboarding don't always translate to hard slab. Is there anything you do in particular to train for that style, whether it's in the gym or outdoors? Thanks and keep crushing it. So, of course, we've already talked about toe training. Anything else for Jonathan? 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So toe training, and I've mentioned this briefly, but like, um, balance training, uh, kind of what I was talking about with like the ballet training, but just a lot of balancing on one foot, closing your eyes on one foot, being on your tippy toes on one foot, closing your eyes, you know, there's different variations you can do. And then doing that on like a bozu ball, um, there's different balancing techniques that really help with body awareness. And then you can even like move within them and try to keep control as you interpretively dance and, and, you know, just do funky movements. Like there's no, like you can just put on a timer maybe because there's no way to like measure funky movements, you know, or like, like smooth, um, smooth movements with your arms and other leg that aren't on the ground, but you just time it for a minute and be like, okay, I'm going to stay on my tippy toes for a minute balancing and doing, you know, very, I think the only way I can describe it is interpretive dancing mm. and do that. Um, another thing is flexibility helps a lot with slabs. And the reason for this is that it helps you get into positions that optimize the smallest holds. And and on a slab, those are the smallest holds you're going to find, right? Like um, just logically. <laughs> the only, the only holds you're going to find. Yeah. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just like throughout all styles of climbing, like you, the, the oh, holds I see what you're saying. Yeah. Use on a slab will always be the smallest holds. Like, uh, like you're not going to find a micro edge that's usable on a perfect roof. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you do, it's going to be like the hardest thing ever. And on a slab, you'll find micro edges everywhere, and it's like you're more likely to use a lot of that type of holds. So, um, finding movement and balance to make those holds as useful as possible is is really great. And so flexibility, which can be like movement training or different, like I do some flexibility training as well with Lattice, actually. We've been kind of working together to to make my training applicable for slab climbing, but it's like single leg good mornings. And you can look that up, single leg good mornings or like deep lunges with weights and gymnastics drills also do, maybe you've seen this where they'll put like, like a sock on a wood floor or something slippery and you'll kind of go down to the splits and then come back up. Things like that, that really strengthen your muscles in the max ranges of motions. I would say micro edges as well, like four mil, six mil, eight mil, whatever you're feeling. Um, and doing like pull-ups on micro edges Oof. can be really useful. <laughs> yeah. So like I'll sometimes <laughs> do like four by fours on micros. Four by fours. Um, what do you mean? Or like, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like four pull-ups. And then rest and then do that four times. What is the smallest size hold you can do for body weight pull-ups on? Oh gosh. I don't, I don't know. I usually just stick to like six or eight mil because it's, because then like this, it starts getting really like skin dependent and if it's hot outside or hot inside, it's kind of a, you know, miserable, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's already, that's already blowing my mind. That's really impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I have to like readjust too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working on all of this. Like it's, it's hard, but I do full crimp them. And I think if you're warm, if you're, you know, trying to climb at a level that involves a lot of micro crimps, like if your hands are already like used to that and you warm up properly into it, I think actually full crimping and doing pull-ups on micro edges is a great exercise. Mm. I hope like coaches aren't shrieking everywhere, but I, I genuinely think it's good if you're like at a more elite level and you want to up your game and you know how to properly warm your fingers up to not get injured doing that. I think it's a really good way to 
train in a controlled manner. Cause it's like, we're doing that outside. You're full crimping outside and that's so uncontrolled. So of course it helps to train that inside. Um, and then the last, okay. And then the last thing I would say, just that comes to the top of my mind for training is like shoulder band exercises to kind of strengthen the stability as you're kind of doing slow pushing movements. Mm. Um, Cause you do a lot of those on slabs. You do a lot of like palming and pressing and locking off. And I think any way to get your shoulder stability in max ranges will really help. So those are really trainable things. And they're not new, you know, like people do shoulder training and micro edge crimping for all styles of climbing. Um, and I think those are just especially applicable to slab. So yeah, you could definitely train slab climbing. And then of course, just practicing, Get mm. go to your gym and make sure you climb slab, like the slab sets. Don't be scared from them. Like try and then don't give up. Like just keep trying. Um, a lot of people don't have as much of a, um, they're not as committed to slab. And so if it gets really hard after like three or four attempts, they'll just leave. And it's mm. like, no, like, you know, stay for a few more attempts. Like this isn't hard necessarily. It's not like you're burning through muscles. Like you, right. can, you can stay 20 attempts, half an hour, an hour on the same move. Yeah. Let's talk more about that because that makes perfect sense in a sense. Like if you're, if you want to climb harder slabs outside, practice the ones that they give you in the gym. But this is a question that I had when I was watching you climbing with Louis Parkinson, because he's so good at using momentum and just floating around, you know, kind of floating up yeah. the wall. And that was something that you guys were, were working together on in that session. Like you were a much more slow and controlled mover when it comes to slab climbing, given that you're, you know, it makes sense. You mostly climb outside, um, or at least that's where your goals are. He spends seemingly tons of time in the gym and really works on this. I guess what is, is there value and what is the value of practicing the more like comp competition oriented, like momentum oriented slab climbs inside? Do you find that those still help you with outdoor slab climbing? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think they really help, but in a sense they help with like mental fortitude. <laughs> like they're somewhat resemblant of, of climbing but I have never encountered a move that required a high level of comp climbing. I, I don't really see how applicable they are in my own projects, um, but I do like to do them just again, like, you know, just to like get humbled a little bit to be out of my comfort zone and to like also see myself get better in something that I'm not very good at. But I just, I think like being able to move your body dynamically and powerfully can really help in all facets of climbing including slab, it just also depends on where your goals are. Like if you're doing a slab boulder, it might help more than if you're doing a slab trad climb where you want to make sure every move is as high percentage as possible. Mm. So I think it really does just depend on your goals. And I wouldn't say they're like totally useless. I think the the fear, you know, of doing that jump can like overcoming that and making yourself go from doing something that was impossible into doing something that's possible and feeling really good about that. I think that can do a lot for us mm. um, in all ways and all like, it's very applicable to all forms of, of climbing and uh, facets of life. But I don't think it's like directly, like if you're mm -hmm, trying to mm -hmm. get better at slab outside, I wouldn't be like, go do all of the dynamic slab comp moves in your gym. I would probably say stick to the more like balancey techie. And maybe there's a little bit of 
a jump here or there. And, and that can be really applicable, but not like those toe jump coordination moves. I think they're sick. I would love to be better <laughs> at them because mm-hmm. they feel like you're a superhero. But yeah, <laughs> applicable, not so much, in my opinion. <laughs> what about shoes? Like when you're yeah. thinking about going and trying Meltdown, like how what what does that look like with shoes? Do you have to have like a perfect impeccable shoe every time you yes. really go for a send on that thing? Do you have like a whole quiver when you're going into trying something like that? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be bringing a lot of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have so many shoes when I go this next trip. I'm like... I already had uh, Evolve order me a ton of shoes, which is funny. They're like, okay, we're going to put that order in for you. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Just because you need your shoes to be very pristine for for the slate queries. And also you want them to be very stiff. So I do add extra thickness and uh, stiffness to my shoes when I'm doing something like the the quarry man or like uh, anything in the slate queries. So what do you mean? Like um, you go get them resold? Yeah, I immediately okay. get the new shoes. They actually make them for me at Evolve, which is nice. They're kind of like customs, I guess. And they resold them to be harder. And they wow. put three mils on the uh, on the toe. I don't know what you call it. I should know. I've been designing shoes now, but it, I, the word <laughs> I lost the word. It's not the rand, but okay. it's you know the the base of the shoe. They make it stiffer and they get rid of the love bump. So it's just like a flatter shoe. Mm. And it feels like a brick. And if you try to climb indoors on it, you just fall off of everything. And I found this out when I climbed indoors and I, those are the only shoes I had. And I was just falling off of everything. And I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how to climb because there was no bend. Like I was only getting mm. like one millimeter of, of actual usable toe, which is amazing when the holds you're, hold, you're using are one millimeter. But when you have a <laughs> whole like big volume and you can only use the tiniest little dot on it, it is I mean, it's great for bolt holes, <laughs> but yeah, you're not going to be like getting much out of it. So it's nice to know the tools um, that you need if it's friction climbing. So not edge, not you're not stepping on tiny micro crystal edges, but if you're doing friction climbing, then you want a softer shoe because it'll bend and, and give you the most surface area for the climb. So it really depends on the slab I'm trying. Got it. Okay. That that all makes sense now because when you first started talking about the stiffer shoes for um for meltdown and climbing with that on slate, I immediately my brain was like picturing you climbing the groove pitch. And I was like, wait, what? Like that doesn't make sense. It seems like you would want a really soft shoe that's, you know, you're gonna get good like uh, surface area. Meltdown must be more like micro edging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And all the other pitches of the quarry man aside from the groove, we're all edging as well. So I actually did use stiffer shoes for the whole multi-pitch just because it made sense for most of the climbing. And then at the top of the groove pitch, there are some edge holds that you need to use. And so in that case, I just kind of bit the bullet and was like, okay, I'll just need to press harder against my feet to maximize surface area. And, um, that resulted in me basically bruising my whole spine and pelvic area for like a month. Like it was just fully like black and blue. Uh, Kim, Tom's wife, was like laughing at me when I wore like a bikini to the to the lake on the heat wave. There was like a heat wave that happened in the middle of us projecting. <laughs> and I was just like fully bruised all the way down, like from my shoulder blades um, and my shoulders all the way down my spine. And then to, yeah, where my pelvic bone is. And she was like, oh my God. And I was like, is it bad? 
<laughs> She's like, it's so bad. So, yeah, I was covered in bruises. And I think it was because I had to press so much harder. Mm. <laughs> but it was worth the trade-off because, you know, uh, the edges are so much better with, with stiff shoes. Got it. Okay. Got it. What are some... So you're an Evolve athlete. What are some shoes in your quiver when it comes to slab climbing? I I love the Oracles, although they have discontinued them. Oh, and so I'm I know it's <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm figuring it out. <laughs> so I've kind of converted to the shamans and they're essentially the same thing as the Oracles, except the toe box is a little bitter uh, bigger, which makes the toe a little less pointed. And so sometimes I even have them point the toe a little bit more on a different uh, last. So that's kind of my solution to it. And I, I really do like them, actually. They work really well. They work really beautifully in Smith. Um, they can heel hook and edge really well, especially if I make them stiffer um, with a pointier toe box. And then for like volume, comfortable climbing, I have their slip-ons. I just sometimes... I'll climb all the way up to project level with just slip-ons because I'm just like, oh, they're so comfortable and I I need to get stronger anyways, you know, like I have good footwork. <laughs> so like, or in my mind, I'm like, I have good footwork. Let me like work on things that aren't footwork intensive for a second. And so I'll, I'll use their raves, their, their slip-on shoe, like religiously. Okay. It's so comfortable. Mm -hmm. Nice. I mean, that's another way to get good toe training practice i remember early on in my climbing one of my one of my shoes for a while was the anasazi moccasin you know like the red one that yeah, like, yeah, dyes yeah. your feet red when you when you wear it with, totally. if you sweat <laughs> but uh it was so soft it was actually really it like i really remember noticing that my toes got a lot stronger climbing in those because you just have to engage your toes so much more yeah uh, i yeah. yes i totally agree with that yeah toe training on the wall there we go mm-hmm Okay. Well, I I have already been talking to you for an hour and 40 minutes. This has flown by. So much more in my life. I talk a lot. No, that's you're, it's great. It's the best quality to have in a podcast guest. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, okay. We're probably not going to get to all these listener questions. I have a few questions from Ethan that I want to ask. And then Aww. I would love to talk yeah. more about your YouTube channel and how you got into that. And um, I've got some questions about that too, but okay, yeah, I was picking Ethan's brain. What, you know, what was he curious about as far as you go? The first thing he said was ask her for synonyms of success in rock climbing that aren't violent or warlike. <laughs> oh my God. I love Ethan so much. I have a list on my phone. How did <laughs> this I come about? It? How did, yeah, please. <laughs> So we were at women's chat or no, sorry. I've, I've been in a lot of like uh, women's climbing festivals and things like this. This was no man's land film festival. And we were both guest speakers, like athletes. Um, and he was on the allies panel and I was on the athlete panel and it was so fun. And we basically, the, the, this topic kept coming up about like, oh my goodness, all of the words we use for sending are so violent and and like like I conquered that like I destroyed that climb I annihilated it it's like Crushed. so it's it's very colonizing mm. um and that's not really something that I think we necessarily want to be associated with our goals like it feels very like I am in the 1900s I am a pioneer 
the white dude trying to conquer this mountain for myself and my country. Like, it's just like not the vibe that I want to give off necessarily. <laughs> and I would rather if the community, you know, the community move further away from that. And I, I get it. I get how much psych there is and be like, oh, I just like crushed it. Right. Like I crushed that climb. And it, it's so easy to do without realizing how colonizing it can be. And so we're like, hmm, we should make a list of words that will replace the violent words and i'm trying to find it because we came up with this list at the trad or at the um at no man's land film festival and i i really want to find it but if i don't i can just like come up with a few things let me see it's fine i edit this it's all good oh that's right huh okay good good yeah i forgot to remind you of that words for sending that aren't colonizing or violent okay <laughs> so <laughs> that's a long list i just got a glimpse of it <laughs> are you ready for that yeah yeah i'm ready okay styled my favorite like oh my god you styled that that's great rocked loved bossed floated danced the nest some of these are are like maybe you'd use them maybe you wouldn't Allowed passage. Not sure that there. You're like, wow, you really allowed passage to that climb. Um, sent, focused, concentrated, swam, transcended, transcent, um, felt it out. <laughs> oh, and then I have that was consensual lovemaking between you and that rock. <laughs> and then you worked it. Worked it. And nice. all of these can also have the word babe added to them as we've noted, um, just because babe is a neutral, a gender neutral uh, word for affinity for someone. So I don't know if you know that, but Ethan and I call each other babe. Uh -huh. <laughs> can you, can you use, can you add babe to some of those as an example for me? Yeah. Like, um, you really transcended babe. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do this consensually with a friend. Yeah. Otherwise I would leave the babe out. But now you just sound like you're like, like a surfer from the seventies or something like that. Yeah, Ethan and I like always call each other babe. It like stems from when we were climbing in Mallorca. I don't know, maybe he had, did he reference babe at all in your list of questions? No, babe is not mentioned. Babe is not mentioned? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because I was poking fun at Ethan because we've been friends for a while and we were climbing, we were deep water soloing in Mallorca together and uh, in his video, <laughs> in his videos sometimes, like, you know, there's like this, feminine voice saying like good job babe you got it babe <laughs> and i thought it was really funny that all of his videos had this and so i was climbing with him and then drew drew mac was on our trip and they were doing a film of ethan and i was like okay drew when ethan's climbing i'll start i'll be like come on babe you got it babe like in this feminine voice but then i need you to chime in in the most masculine voice you can and be like come on babe <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it would be really funny mm -hmm. and that's kind of where it started what video is this? In? I have to. I have to find I, this. I don't even think it's out yet. It's okay. a bigger. It's like a longer project. I oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it'll come out in I'll the future. Um, yeah, yeah. Ask Ethan. <laughs> but I thought that was a really funny. Like, cause I'm always trying to like play with the. I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's all start using more of those words, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm it's gonna to keep at least understand, like to recognize, keep in mind, like, oh yeah, like wow, that's super colonizing of me. <laughs>
Yeah, totally. You I know? destroyed, I smashed, I mm-hmm. conquered, whatever, crushed. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Will you send me your list and can I put it in the show notes for people to reference? Yeah, Perfect. definitely. Great, okay. I've got two more questions from Ethan. These are kind of serious. Um, not serious like in an intense, bad way, just like a, a thoughtful... They're just, yeah, they're, they're not fun, goofy questions. These are real questions. Okay. I'm always curious about how my friends who are really hardworking became really hardworking. Why does she think that she became so hardworking? He sees you. Oh. Yeah, he respects yeah. Your, worth ec- your work ethic a lot and thinks that you're really badass. Um, where does oh. that come from for you, the, the hard work? It's funny because I, I never feel like I'm working hard enough. Like I never feel like I'm doing enough. I feel so lazy a lot of the time. And I, I'm i probably pretty hard on myself, honestly. It sounds um, like it. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you know, I do find moments of joy and love in there and, and moments for myself. But I think maybe it's just we've referenced this a little bit, but part of my perfectionism, part of my stubbornness and part of my kind of like, it's like I have this like fire and it just like is constantly there and I just have to learn how to slow down. And so I think my hardworking, like my ethic kind of comes from a little bit of my personality and just kind of constantly feeling like I need to do things. I don't think that's necessarily like the healthiest place to come from. So I think what I've been doing lately is trying to work on making that come from a place of like excitement, inspiration, which it it also does, but, you know, leaning into that and then having times where I, I tune out from the world and I stop working. Um, and I, it's, it's funny because the question, I know it's like out of admiration um, and it's shown as a positive quality, but recently I've actually been grappling with the idea of work ethic as a positive quality because we're so work centric in the United States and traveling to Catalonia to other places that don't necessarily have the same kind of like intensity around work is really refreshing. And I think mm. it's life-saving. I, I think we need to move away from constantly working and constantly being overworked and into a more like reasonable love or life loving mindset. Mm. So it's funny that that's like a positive. Cause I also think it's a positive. I think it's allowed me to do a lot of the things I've done, but I also think I can tone it down a little bit and like my work ethic where it, where it might be admirable. I think it can also be on the flip side, something really that I would like to work on in the opposite way, like in what you wouldn't expect, like right. step back a little so it's funny. It's like a double-edged sword because I'm really proud of it. And I think it's really wonderful. But I also am aware that it can it can make me feel burnt out, overwhelmed, and anxious. Hmm. So it's probably personality is the answer. Is the short answer. Yeah. No, that's and great. Thanks, thanks for sharing all that. Because it is interesting that when he asked that, of course, he's he's asking that from a place of admiring this, what he sees as a positive quality in you. And when I read the question or, or when he told me the question, when I wrote it down and thought of asking you it, I immediately thought of it that way too. Like I just immediately was like, yes, this is, this is obviously like a positive quality that we admire about Anna. Um, yeah. And, and it, that just says so much, right? That says so much about us Americans and, and how we think and, and what we idealize and um, how we see the world. So 
Yeah. yeah I think for- it is a positive quality though. Right. It, like, but like, I really do think it's positive, but I also think that some of our best qualities can also be some of the things that are our worst qualities sometimes. Right, right. You know, I, yeah. I think both exist always um, in every person. Like like my sensitivity, I, I consider that like one of my best features, but also something that really I struggle with. So it's just like everything has another side to it. Will you share more about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I am a really like emotional person, I feel like. Um, Like, I just, like, soak up other people's emotions like a sponge. And so, like, sometimes it gets confusing whether they're my emotions or someone else's emotions in the room. And I just, like, kind of am constantly on, just on. I think that's the best word for it. And it can be, like, really overwhelming and intense. Actually, in the movie Queen Lines, I wear my, like, one of my favorite shirts that says sensitivity is my superpower. (laughs) It's just, like... It's something that I've hated my whole life is how sensitive I am. I'm like the kind of person who like cries instantly if if something mean is said. Like, you know, I just like mm. have so many emotions and I can't quite control them. I cried so much growing up just because I like couldn't stop crying or laughing or, you know, just being extreme. And it's something that I've like definitely learned to moderate a little better, but I don't want to lose all of it because it's also my superpower. Like mm. I can really like feel people as emotions and and understand where they are. And I feel like that's, that's a superpower too. So, yeah. So that is about as good a segue as, uh, as we could probably ask for. And another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and this is your YouTube channel and your content creation. I mean, now I, maybe eventually we can take a couple steps back and hear um, how you started doing that. Cause it is this really fun, you know, entertaining and, and just fun, playful thing that that you do. And it's great to get this glimpse into your life and into your world. Um, but a conversation that we had when we did our pre-interview was about the negative comments that you get on the internet and just all the shit that you have to put up with from dudes um, who are just <laughs> making judgments about your about you, about your body hair, like all this bullshit that you have to see and and put up with. And um, I think it came up in, or one thing that came up in that conversation was your sensitivity. Cause I, like I, you know, watching the queen lines video in Brit rock and then just watching your YouTube channel and, and feeling like I got to know you a little bit more. I'm so impressed by the way that you seem to be able to just be you like unapologetically yourself um, so much of who you are and your playfulness and your goofiness comes through in those videos, which is so much fun. And hearing that you get all these negative comments and that you can be this emotional sponge, I'm just like, how do you do that? How is it that you balance those things? How do you compartmentalize the negativity or what do you do with it? Cause, um, it's totally unfair, obviously. Um, and I hope that <laughs> I'm always amazed at this. Like I, I went and read some of your comments on your YouTube channel. And I'm just like, where are these dudes? Like, where are these guys that are saying this type of shit? Cause well, I, I, I get fe- rid of the comments a lot of the time. What's that? I just like, can't, I, I delete the comments. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, the, the really bad ones, cause they're so offensive. So, so I, I haven't even really seen, think, I haven't even seen the bad no, ones. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's just, um, I don't think they're, I, I'm usually not for like word policing. Um, but I don't think there's, any 
good that would come from leaving some of these comments up. You know, it's not discourse. It's not like trying to make a conversation and, and, you know, offer another perspective. It's just rude and intense and racist and sexist or Mm. whatever they've decided to latch on. Just because me as a person, I represent a lot of things that some fraction, like some fraction of people in this world are really highly offended about. Like in a world where Trump was elected as president Mm. to make things political, um, there's like, there is a group of people around the world that are very threatened by a lot of the things that I represent just by existing. So there is my femininity and my overt femininity, which is the, what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to be like a man. Um, I'm trying to just be myself and be a woman online. And that creates a lot of hate. Um, And then my, the fact that I'm really comfortable with my body and my body hair and I kind of don't want to adhere to societal standards all of the time. And I shave, like I shave sometimes, sometimes that makes me feel pretty. Other times I can't be bothered and that's okay too. I'm like, it's feral girl fall, you know, and I'm really like (laughs) proud of it. I like just dyed my armpit hair. I thought it was really fun. I don't know. It's just like, (laughs) there's not like, I don't want to live by rules that define me as feminine or masculine. I just want to be myself and it can be interpreted as highly feminine, but then all of a sudden I have body hair and that really people don't like that. And then I'm, I'm Latina. I'm my mom's from Mexico. And so like half first gen and I'm like, I'm Brown (laughs) and some people really pick up on that. And that can be unfortunate too. It depends on the situation, but like, I've definitely had like racist comments thrown at me and I'm like, wow, that's, that's so unfortunate because like in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people would say I'm, I'm quite white passing. I don't have an accent. Like you wouldn't be able to tell that like what ethnicity I I am. I'm pretty ethnic, ethnically ambiguous. And so like, that's just like, okay. Um, and just, I also advocate a lot for queerness. I I dated a trans woman. Um, I like identify as part of that community or at the minimum an ally these days. And I try to always bring that up and bring up trans legislation and LGBTQ plus rights. And, and I'm always like, you know, putting, or whenever I can, I'm acknowledging the land I'm on because I do have a tribe in Mexico that mm. I am like, you know, one eighth of a part of. And it's just like really just by being, by just like existing, I think it makes a lot of people mad. God. Yeah, I know. And I, it's just I like, it's like there's not much. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. I actually, I have a good comment for you. I I just put it up because it was just so outrageously bad. How piece, how censored are your podcasts? Not at all. I mean, this is this okay. is something that I mean, this is going to make people uncomfortable, but this is something that you yeah. have to engage with in your life like all the time. So I think it's I think it's really valuable for people to at least hear the kinds of comments that you're getting. I have a, a lot of really bad ones. As we've mentioned, people really dislike my body hair and all like get so many. I mean, I haven't even deleted these comments like you probably just scroll through and see just, oh, why doesn't she shave like, oh, like so masculine, like god she she's so ugly with her body hair like specifically things towards my body hair um and that's you know aside from the fact that people also think i'm ugly for my muscles you know all of these uh stereotypes that we have to as women kind of go through 
It just doesn't make it yeah. easy when my life's on display and people can just comment anonymously. It's that anonymity that makes them so brave. Um, just like two days ago, this wasn't yesterday. This was two days ago. Um, in one of my YouTube videos, I, I was climbing with my friend, Irina. We were being overtly feminine. We're just being ourselves. We're just climbing. We're joking. My nails were orange and we were climbing an orange climb. And I was like, oh my God. Yay, this this so is the, like, the hands-free like, slab session. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so fun. I was I, like the, having the so part, much fun with the edit. The part where you <laughs> you matched the finish hold with both hands and then you were like, oh, am I supposed to like finish with my feet? And you just did the vertical splits when you were standing on the slab and just like touched the finish hold with your foot. I was like, holy, f like talk, talking about how people climb with you and then go stretch. That was yeah. that moment for me. I was like, God damn. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. so impressive. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm like quite strong in my flexibility too. So I can just kind of like move off of the splits if I need to, which is good. But yeah, <laughs> that video. And I, um, we talked about periods for like a little bit because we were both on our period and turns out like our hormones actually affect our balance um, and performance. I mean, women go through training cycles in accordance to their periods sometimes because like tendon strength decreases at certain points of your cycle. Um, it just like really impacts us as women who get a period once every month. And apparently this really was so offensive to some men that Jesus. they felt the need. I got so many comments just like, we don't need to hear about your period. Like, ew, gross. Or like, Jesus Christ. And I, I just kind of like deleted those comments. And then, and then I got this, this oh ticker okay. here. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. This is Jacob. Um, sometimes when I come, I get semen on my leg hairs and it dries later into crusty little dingleberries. I believe this inhibits my climbing because it knots up and has some degree of resistance restriction whilst climbing because I can feel it. I figured I'd share this piece of biology to everyone because I automatically assume that since men ejaculate and could have the same issue, the entirety of public should be introduced to my private life, just like the information regarding women's periods in this video. Jesus. FYI, females. We understand you have periods. You don't need to publicize it. It's like telling everyone how your poop came out this morning. Sometimes people don't care and that's okay because even though it's a biological trait, not everyone cares. <laughs> so I'm just shaking that my was head. a paragraph. <laughs> but Fuck I me. didn't know that how is to handle such, that is such God damn. There's so many things wrong with that. I mean, obviously, but the yeah. like uh, No, the, I know. It's such a bad analogy. That is such <laughs> the wrong way to think about this. Yeah. I'm God like, Jacob, damn. go take a shower. <laughs> like that will fix your cum ejaculation problem, which clearly you need better aim. And clearly it's just by yourself. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That. Yeah. I'm like, that'll fix your problem. Um, now my turn, let me fix my uh, problem of being a woman. Uh, let there, me yeah. see what I can do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so frustrating because it's just like, there's so many things that are just like there's so many fallacies to even the the parallels he's trying to draw. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, where do you even start? Like, I can't, I can't respond to that. It's just so idiotic. And yeah. of course, like this kind of thing, like I don't take personally, I just kind of have that. Oh, we're still there. Aren't we? You know, when mm. I got like, mm -hmm. when someone messaged my friend saying like, you need to put your dirty whore friend in her place. Um, you know, and it's just because he was a guy that was in my story and this person texted or messaged that guy on socials and a couple other friends or like things like that. It's just like, oh, it's just so saddening, especially when my other friends are involved or they get weird messages because people are offended by me.
I just feel so sad. Um, and that's really like in contrast to some of the comments that make me personally, like they hurt me personally. And, and that's a confidence issue. It's like someone has found what I'm not confident in. And I'm confident in a lot of things now. I've grown a pretty thick skin. Like if you comment on my body on like basically a lot of things, I, I'm good. Like I'm, it's not going to hurt me. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's crazy that you don't think I'm hot. Yeah, it like, is. I don't know it what to crazy. say. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm like, cool. I'm like, that's okay. I don't need your validation. Yeah. I have my own internal validation and I have great uh, self-esteem. But if you comment on something that's like, oh, she's such a weak pro climber, like pro, like that's laughable. I got so many comments on this this YouTube video that called me a pro climber. And I was like, oh my God, like after like the, and I, I know I shouldn't be reading this, but if we go past the point or if we like look past that and we're like, okay, I shouldn't be reading this, but I did. And this was the result of that. And I'm learning now to not read comments as much, but it's just like after like 12 or so comments that are so negative and, and calling me like weak and inadequate, it's just like, oh shoot. Like that was actually something I wasn't so secure about. Like I'm actually quite insecure about how physically strong I am. I, I don't feel like I'm that strong. And it, it's just like hit a chord and it's just like, I'm working through, it's kind of like every time my channel gets a little bigger, I have to work through a new section of, of comments and types of comments and deal with those insecurities. So, mm. you know, the, the silver lining is that I do get quite confident in the things that I get bullied about. God. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I have so many thoughts right now. I mean, I guess it's, it's amazing the way you handle it. I'll just say that like, you're a fucking superstar. You're a badass. It's so cool <laughs> that you're able to stay so positive about it. I mean, those are such disgusting comments from such like small men, you know, like those are such small afraid yeah. men. And I know, I know I said earlier, like, like, where are these guys? And that probably sounds really naive because we, you know, we are living in a world where Trump was elected very recently and might be elected again, you know, knock on wood, I really hope not. Um, so obviously, like much of our country, those people are out there. Um, I, I guess my, where, where I was, where my head was at when I said that out loud is just like, I don't meet these people in climbing, you know? And and they're probably out there. I'd be really naive to think that they aren't. I know that women still put up with a lot of bullshit all the time every time they go to the climbing gym. Maybe it's the the circles that I travel in. I spend a lot more time traveling and climbing outside in places where people generally have been climbing for a long time. You know, it's not um, beginner areas. And so maybe there's like, mm -hmm. there's like a maturity and a ego check that's kind of built into the climbing journey, you know, that helps neutralize some of this stuff and open people up. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but no, um, I'd, I'd like to think that. Yeah. Do you I, come I across think, this in, in climbing when you're outside climbing? Oh, and It totally. So I, I just want to say like for all of this, it just depends. And I think you've said it really beautifully of, okay, maybe it just depends on like where I am and what kind of people will be there. Um, but also like just to tell you a little story. Um, a few months ago, maybe it was more than that, like half a year ago or so. Whenever I was last home before the UK trip, so maybe that was like eight or nine months ago, I went climbing with my siblings. I took my little sister and my older brother climbing and we were climbing and there was just like this one little comment. It's fine. Um, I was warming up on this like V4 
in an overhang and kind of like taking my time up it. And then when I got off of it, I went to go, you know, stand next to my little sister, chalk up, you know, the normal climbing things. And then the group of guys next to me, one of them was like, oh, dude, if she just did it, like you can definitely do it. Mm. And I like l- exchanged looks at my little sister. And I was like, oh, like, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, and yeah. And then um, on the drive back, we were like talking about that a little bit. I was like, wasn't that crazy? And I did. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not shy at the gym. Um, I am socially awkward <laughs> sometimes, but I'm not shy when it comes to like sticking up for myself. Cause it's just like, I've had to do it so many times. It's, it's, I think it always helps to do that. And I was like, I like looked at them and I was like, yeah, but she was just warming up and she skipped half the holds. So maybe if you use all the holds, you'll be able to do it. And like being like, we're like, oh my God, she overheard. And I was just like, honestly, just like watch yourself. Like that was mm-hmm. really rude. Like I just, you know, I, I don't really have patience for that. Sometimes I just think sometimes people just need to be told, Hey, that was rude. Look at how that comes across. Um, and so I, th- I don't think they'll ever make a comment like that again. And I th- yeah, consider yeah. that a positive um, co- contribution. And then we were driving back and my brother's like, oh, I didn't hear anyone say that, you know, and he was standing right with us when mm. we exchanged looks. So it's like, I think what happens and, and I, I love my brother and my brother is so aware of all these things. I mean, for God's sake, he has to hear me complain about them so often. I'm like, I got this said to me at the gym. You know, he's, he's, we've lived together. We grew up together and he was home for COVID. So we're really close. And then he just like, didn't hear it, you know? And, and I feel like sometimes you're just not looking for it. Whereas my little sister and I heard it immediately and were offended, right? right. We were just like, we yeah. were there. Yeah. And I don't know what that says. I don't know if that's to do with the male experience, maybe because he has worse hearing, you know, it could be anything, but it was just like interesting that it was like, oh, you missed that whole thing. And I remember when I talked back and my little sister was so aware of what was happening. And I think my brother was just like, you know, chalking up, getting ready for the next climb. And I think sometimes when you're not, thinking about it as an option, you're not looking out for it. And now my brother has said, oh, you know what? I have noticed things now. And and he's like a wreck. Like he climbs once a month or so um, with his partner. And like, he's like, oh no, you know what? I I actually, sometimes I do notice it now. And I, you know, I speak up and I'm like, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, and, And it's like, just like creating even this conversation. If someone's listening now and they're like, I don't hear this. Well, just like maybe think it might happen, like be aware that it happens. And maybe one day you will, and then you'll maybe be in a position to speak up or in a position to tell someone that, Hey, listen, I heard what they said. I'm so sorry. Like that, that's bullshit, you know, or do something that's going to positively impact the community in that way. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all this. Um, I'm going to ask this question from James that ties into this. <clears throat> James writes, I know many women speak about toxic environments in the climbing world and the general dude bro culture. How can we make women feel more comfortable and included at the crag and at the gym? Um, And a couple other guys chimed in and said like, hell yeah, you know, like they want to hear about this too. And my first thought reading this was like, James, if you're asking that question, good job. You're probably not part of the problem directly. Um, And I'm, I'm wondering if it's maybe... Uh, more along the lines of what you just said, because I because I'm really I've really noticed a shift, or, or I'm I'm really guilty of um, just missing the thing that was said. Like, oh, I didn't hear that, and it's like, well, yeah, that's because I don't have to put up with these shitty comments day in day out. So I'm not on that high sensitivity. You know, I don't I don't I'm not tuned in as much, um, and that just says so much about like my my experience as a as a guy and a content creator who doesn't get 
really disgusting messages all the time. Yeah. Do you uh, not get? I get like, trolling, but I mean, like the message that you yeah. read earlier. No, I've never received anything like that. Not from, like heartfelt actual. Because I, I feel like there's a difference between a message that you know is just like trying to pick at things. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the pro climber comments are more trolling, and mm-hmm. I. I get that. Um, but this one felt like, okay, this guy was actually really upset by what I was presenting. Mm. Um, so that's interesting. Cause I know, I mean, you've got to get shit online, right? Like it's just yeah, part yeah. of what comes with being online. It's not like that's special. It might just be the, the amount and the content totally. <laughs> that, that varies. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it um, feels, I think for me, for the most part, it feels it's, it's less personal. Um, for for you, it feels like a, it seems like a lot of the comments that you get are incredibly personal, and they're so specific too. Like they'll point out a part of my body, man, specifically. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just like it's so like, oh, what? Okay, I didn't mm-hmm. ever think of my nose like that, but okay, <laughs> you know. And you have to just be like, oh, I have to be so strong in so many ways, uh, specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to answer James' question for you. Do you have thoughts on that? And I'm also aware oh. that like you know, it's maybe not fair of me as a guy to invite you here and then have you explain to men everywhere like how to behave you know i know that it's <laughs> yeah. probably not fair to put that burden on you but so you don't have to answer this question but if you do have any thoughts no, it's okay yeah. um yeah i mean like i always try to like approach conversations and dialogues in a way to help people genuinely and not to try not to point fingers because i mean the person who asked this question and the people who are thumbsing up this question obviously want to help and it's coming from a place of good and i think a lot of the times especially in this polarized political atmosphere we kind of have forgotten about intention along the way and i think it's really important and i think that people who are trying i think that's good and we shouldn't be like making them feel bad for trying because how are we gonna make progress if everyone's too scared to even ask a question because they think it's stupid Mm. so i don't think that's a good way to handle these things, these conversations that are trickier, that are more uncomfortable. But what I will say a bit sassily is that like, you know what to do. You know what I mean? Like you, you got to just be a decent human. You have to understand that other people in different walks of life have different experiences. And if you have any kind of empathy and any understanding of empathy, like, it should be obvious what you can do to make the crag and make the gym a more comfortable place for women. Like, are you just like checking women out when they're climbing? Like, that's probably not great. You know, don't do that. And like, there's like so many things. It's like, if you want a list, it's going to be the most obvious shit, right? Mm. It's like, don't come into someone's personal bubble. Like try to remember that, that in the society, in the patriarchy, like, we we have been taught a certain list of rules that are entirely different from the set of rules that like men or masculine presenting people have been taught. And so our life experiences are going to be so different. And when you ask, like someone just asked me, like just a DM, like, how much do you weigh though? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, it's like sometimes the questions that are being asked, it's like, did you think and did you ever think to like reverse the roles and step into someone else's shoes? And it's just like frustrates frustrates me sometimes when people are just like, I don't know, I don't know how to help. And I'm like, well, have you listened? Have you asked your female friends if they feel comfortable? And if not, why? Like, have you done any kind of questioning in that form? Like, 
I asked my friends who like are LGBTQ, like identifying that way, like, hey, is this a is this a safe space for you right now? And is there a way we can make that safer? Um, what specifically do you feel when you enter this space? Like it just knowledge is power. And I think that sometimes it's easy to be like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna sit here with my arms akimbo and just not do anything. <laughs> nice, but... nice vocab word. <laughs> Thank you. I love that word. I think it's really funny. Yeah. I think anything that starts with the uh or a B, like be be bewitched uh, it's funny. Anyways, um <laughs> yeah, it's just like it kind of frustrates me also sometimes. It's just like, oh, it's such a broad strokes question. Mm-hmm. There's no s- simple way to answer that. There's so much to do. But yeah, start with being aware. Start with asking your friends, your w- women girls that you climb with, like if there's anything that you can do or if there's anything they've experienced, just listen, you know, sometimes that's all we need. We just need to be heard and felt like it's being understood that it's hard and it's different. It's such a different experience. Like imagine entering a sport you love and your entire life, all of society has taught you that a, your self-worth should be in how beautiful you are. And then B, every time you get a little bit better at the thing you love to do, you get further away from our beauty standard. Mm. So like <laughs> even just something as simple as that is like, oh, the thing you're doing right now is actively pushing you away from what like our colonial beauty standard has been in the States and growing up in this atmosphere. Every single day, we have to fight so much more than you think. And then we have periods and hormones that <laughs> that make us off balance sometimes. It's studies, you know? It's like, there's just all these things that are happening that people don't even think about. And it's just so much harder. And I just want people to acknowledge that and be like, oh, shit. Yeah. How can we help? <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's me ranting. I apologize. I just No, like, no, don't. Please don't you know, apologize. Just, there's so no. much. P- please don't yeah. apologize. That makes perfect sense. I actually, I wonder if it's fair for me to ask you, um, you know, you mentioned the questions that you sometimes ask your LGBTQ friends are, do you feel safe in this space? What can I do? What can we do? Can I ask you that? Like, what does it feel like for you to enter into climbing spaces, whether that's outdoor crags um, that are in your best style, outdoor crags that are challenging for you, going to the climbing gym? What does it feel like for you to be in those safe in those spaces? And do you feel safe? Like, you know, what would make you feel more more safe or welcome when you when you don't feel those ways? Yeah. Um, lately, when I go into a climbing gym, it's usually a bunch of guys. Uh, and, and I, I, I swear at some point there were more women around and climbing and into it, but for some reason, every single time I've been to a gym lately, it's just me and like 40 guys, maybe one other woman. And it's like kind of intimidating sometimes. And it feels like I'm out of place immediately, even though I literally do this for a career. Um, and there's this one gym I really like, um, they used to be called the factory, but it's hangar 18 orange. And I love going there because I feel like there's a decent amount of like women who are crushing. And also like the majority of the gym is BIPOC. And it makes me feel really like welcomed and immediately comfortable. So I think that's a really important aspect. Another thing is that I always feel like people are like looking or staring at me. And I don't know if that's a product of me being who I am or doing some stupid flexible move that probably looks really like, oh my God, what is she doing? But sometimes that can even make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm not 
sure if there's a solution or if that's more of something I have to figure out as I continue the, you know, this climbing journey. And it's interesting that you asked this too, because my experience has changed so dramatically since when I first started climbing, when I wasn't recognizable. And I mean, a lot of the same issues, like, okay, there's a bunch of guys here. I feel like I'm kind of out of place. Um, and I receive a lot more unwanted and unsolicited beta spraying, like mm. people trying to tell me what to do or people trying to assume. And now I get less of that. I think maybe, maybe I'm more intimidating. I don't know why I'm more like confident when I walk into a gym, I'm not as like, Oh, Whoa, but I, I have noticed, I'm like, wow, there are not many people, um, like me climbing in the way that I do. Um, so it's not an easy question just because there are a lot of things that can make me feel uncomfortable. And then the ways to make me feel more comfortable is just again, just like being a, a decent human, being empathetic, sharing like human exchanges with me in any form of the way. I think that's always the answer really. Just like treat me like you would like to be treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a few thoughts that are coming to mind that might be helpful for James because like what you're saying, it's it's just such obvious stuff. Like be be a good human is like so basic. And it's like shocking to me that in 2022, so many people still aren't doing that. But that's, yeah. I guess that's where we're at. But, um, but it, it is the more subtle things sometimes. It's like, you know, being the guy that notices that comment from the other guy and is willing to not be the, not be the guy that like steps up to save the day, but like being willing to, be the person that says like, Hey dude, that's not cool. Um, cause that, yeah. you know, it's, it's so unfair that you are the one that has to stand up for yourself every single time. I've stood up for other women too. Right. When there were guys watching, you know, it, it, it usually falls on the people like the burden falls on the people who are inflicted. Most right. Of the time. I will add something though, that I did think of, um, don't assume, don't assume when you see people, what they're climbing what their goal is in climbing. I, I, I see like a lot of people just assume like everyone's out here trying to get strong and chase grades. It's like, mm. that's, that's not true. Um, everyone has different goals in climbing. Some people are just here for a fun social time and they could do that for decades and just have that. Like people are different. So if you like, I, I, there's been so many times and I've mentioned this in some, one of the kind of empowerment speeches I've given at women's trad fest this time it was at women's trad fest where um there were so many times when i was projecting both once upon a time and the walk of life when tom and i were sitting together and some guy walking the trail would come up and just like start by acknowledging both of us but slowly just like ask all of these technical questions to tom and about the climb and it got to a point where i was like am i going crazy or has no one acknowledged my existence walking by like none of these hmm. passerbys being like oh what the climbing is and like they'd constantly ask tom or this other his, his name was also tom someone else i went with um they would just start asking him and i was like no no he drove me here <laughs> he's not like, even climbing with me yeah he was he was trying it on a top rope and stuff but like with the he was like this is so this is going to be such a cool weird unique experience for me um he wasn't it wasn't with the intention of of projecting it it was just kind of to support me which i was so grateful for but then people were just asking him all these questions and I'm just like, oh, okay, I guess I don't exist. And I asked mm. Tom Randall about it. I was like, did you notice this is happening? Like every single time a passerby comes by, they just totally 
ignore me. He was like, actually, I did start to notice that. He's like, sorry, I haven't said anything. Mm. And then the next time someone did that, he was like, hey, actually, she's the one that sent both of the climbs on this cliff. Because it was after I had sent Walk of Life and I went back again to uh, support Tom on it. And so I had already sent both of the climbs on the cliff and, and Tom was projecting it. And he just like totally called them out for me. He was like, you should really be asking her because she's the one that sent mm. all of the lines mm-hmm. on this cliff and kind of put him in this his place a little bit. And it felt really good. It was like, oh, yeah, nice. thank you. But, you know, that kind of thing, it feels so simple. But you can just assume that if there's a guy and girl together, you probably assume that, A, they're a couple, which in a lot of cases, it's not. I'm a solo female traveler and I find other solo travelers to climb with. And most of the time that's guys. And I hate when people assume we're dating. I'm like, dude, I just met him this morning. I don't <laughs> like, I'm still, I'm still sussing him out. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to be associated yet. Like, I don't know. He seems nice, but like we just met and I might not climb with him again. Mm-hmm. Um, or they assume that the guy is the stronger, more capable, more competent climber who's setting up all the rigs. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm setting up this top rope solo. Like I, I just get a little bit frustrated when people just assume. And sometimes it is the case. And I'm like, yeah, no, he's the one that's more competent in this case for sure. But that's another piece of advice I would say to make things feel a little more comfortable. It's like, don't assume that the boyfriend is going to set up a top rope for the girlfriend. Like, it's just so offensive. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. ah. <laughs> totally. I, I, love th- I love that. I love everything you just shared. And I was actually thinking exactly along the same lines. Um, and I can't remember where the, this was from. I think it was from a guy named Derek Sivers. No relation to climbing whatsoever, but I listened to some interviews with him and read his book. And he, like, he has like a blog where he shares the takeaways from popular books. And it's almost like this great resource for just like, what are, what are the life lessons? What are the do's and don'ts from all these books if we don't have time to read them? And um, I can't remember what book it was, but I just remember that his main takeaway from this, from this book was there's way more variety within groups of people than there are between different groups of people. For example, there's like way more variety within women and within men than there are between women and men. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well? Totally. Yeah, so we, just treat, we learned it, this in in some of my university classes too. Like biologically, the variance is greater within women and within men than between women and men if we're using a binary split, which right. is useful for analyzing data. Right, right. So then no matter, and, and the same thing is true, no matter what category you could possibly put someone into or you know whatever pieces of their identity um, you could choose to to make an assumption, just don't make that assumption because I think Derek's takeaway is like, just treat everybody like they're the same. Just start with like this blank slate, treat everyone like they're the same and then let them show you who they are because inevitably, if you make any starting base assumption, you're going to be wrong more often than not. And then of course, there's these other layers like, you know, as a guy, I want to treat everybody like they're the same. That's been a really helpful framework for like having openness and like, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I've learned not to make assumptions about 12 year old climbers because they burn me off all the time. And so I don't know, like maybe their parents are here supporting them and they're the crusher, you know, but then also going back to James and, and his question, like being more and more mindful of the shit that other groups of people have had to put up with their whole lives that us as guys haven't had to put up with, especially white guys. Like those, those are the things that um, if you start thinking that way as you go into new interactions, I mean, if you just hold those two things, I think you're whatever, however you behave, you're, you're going to be on the right path, you know? 
I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we should be celebrating differences and acknowledging differences, you know, where necessary, but also treating people as like giving people same opportunity, you know, um, to, to thrive and be themselves and not like kind of putting a societally imposed <laughs> stereotypes onto anyone right when we meet them. I think that's unfair, but I think it's also like unfair to not recognize, you know, and, and kind of understand the differences that it took for that person to maybe get to the same place. Mm. So it's, it's complex, but we're complex. Humans are complex and, mm -hmm. and people can understand complex things. I think <laughs> that there's no basic way to do it. And it's really like, there's no like, yes, no list of things to do. And I think that it can't be that way. And I think people are fully capable of thinking in complex ways. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I want to share one more thought. This goes back to something you said a minute ago that I loved, which is like, not losing sight of intention, like intention does matter. And if people want to learn and they're trying to do the right thing, um, you know, we shouldn't, I don't know. I, I've, I have been the person that felt scared away, you know, I'm like, well, fuck, I feel like I can't do anything right. I'll, you know, I'm being made to feel like I have to figure this out on my own and I'll never understand at the same time. And, and that's fine. What, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is that for a while, I let that fear keep me from moving forward. You know, I was like, I don't know how to do this right. So I'm just kind of afraid to say anything. I'm just going to kind of sit here and like stay in my lane and, and stop making an effort to like better understand to move forward. Because I just felt like, well, I'm going to, I'm like inevitably going to screw up and I'm still going to piss someone off and whatever. And what I've learned is that like, just own it. Just go through life, do your best, have good intentions. And when you screw up, just be really quick to to own it and just learn from it. And, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, you're totally right. I said something that was that was totally unfair. Or, or I, I, I was making an assumption that's, that's really shitty of me. I'm sorry. Or whatever it is, just acknowledge it and own it and then do better next time. No, totally. I don't, yeah, I think fear mongering is definitely not the most productive societal feedback tool. <laughs> and I think that there's like a lot of easier ways, better ways, more productive ways to do it. Like, I think if we, and this isn't shared by all progressive people, like I know this is not maybe even the majority of what people are saying right now. I think it's very popular to, to be like angry right now and to, create more polarization. And I'm not saying what they're doing is bad. I totally understand it. And, and I'm angry too, but in my opinion, I think stemming from a place of like understanding and love is going to produce better results for me in my life and the people who surround me because it actually promotes change as far as I can see, whereas anger creates defense. Mm. And, um, that's another reason I like comedy so much. It's like a really good way to bring things up yeah, it and is, to create it? change. Oh, yeah. totally. It's, it's my, like, that was my thesis in at university was like, um, comedy and how it's just a fuel for, you know, it's a mechanism for change really mm. and political change and how we can use comedy in that way. And I like tied it into neuroscience because I was a nerd, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you study? Uh, biochemical neuroscience and biochemical and so, neuroscience and you did your thesis on comedy i love that yeah that's really yeah cool. i was also in english classes and i took an english class on comedy and i was like oh this is great 
And I just like did this like big, like 15 pages. It's not that many pages now that I think about it, like single spaced of just like talking about comedy and brain functions. And, but now I'm a climber. So (laughs) I clearly used all of all of my schooling for something. <laughs> well, you did. I mean, even in your vocabulary in this interview, it's very obvious to me that you took English classes. Um, but then that that's interesting. Like I want what I, what I want to wrap up with is um, what feels important to you and what change are you trying to make and and how are you trying to do that? Because I see that in you. Like your YouTube channel is fun and it's climbing and I'm sure it's a key part of you being a professional climber and making a living. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a fun thing you do. But you just explaining that, you explaining that just now, that um, biochemical neuroscience or whatever you said that you studied. They called it biopsychology. And then I just like emphasized in like the more chemistry. Okay. Biology side of it. Okay. Awesome. It makes perfect sense that studying that and focusing on comedy like I can now see how that has likely influenced your content and how you go about sharing who you are and your story and using that to hopefully make change in the world. Is that how you think about your YouTube channel? Is is Are there totally. those layers or is it just like, oh, I'm just having fun climbing? No, I mean, that's the thing too. Um, I mean, not that everything is like calculated. I, I try to be pretty free form in myself. I, I don't really try to change myself for the camera. Um, whatever I'm feeling is how, what you're going to get. But, um, I think that part of my like YouTube calculation or whatever is having a space for pure joy and to show that joy can happen for everyone and anyone in the sport and having that representation without needing a deeper meaning for some of my videos. And you'll notice that my videos also vary. Sometimes I do video essays where I really like delve into what's happening, my mindset, like how the world is impacting me. And then other videos, I'll talk about like training as a woman and and useful things along that front and just kind of show, I, I think that it's really important for me to show representation and all of the things I'm doing in a way that doesn't feel like I'm conforming to be like a smaller man or something, you know, like we're, we're past that. We're onto kind of joy, female joy, uh, Latina joy, queer joy. Um, we don't always need it to be anything more than just that, just like allowing other people to feel comfortable in bodies that aren't super thin, maybe, or super curvy or whatever's in vogue. It's crazy that bodies shapes go into vogue, but like <laughs> no. muscular bodies can have fun, you know, like things yeah. like that. that I think yeah. there is a political agenda, but without saying it at all. And in a lot of my videos and then other times I explicitly talk about it and I'm like, Hey, this is what's on my mind. And then other times I think a big goal of mine and what I try to kind of infuse into all of my projecting videos is just a sense of like accepting everything, accepting how you feel throughout the process of climbing and kind of offering another path to replace the bravado machismo pathway that we've created as, you know, a narrative in climbing. And so just like offering this other path for people to take I think allows there to be like more like wide level thinking about what climbing can be for you as a person like oh it's not just one way oh there's two ways oh maybe there's like 10 ways 20 ways and I really like that idea I like that people can see that I'm battling through my fears I'm battling with them I'm working with them I'm feeling elated and then I'm feeling totally depressed about something and I just 
I just like how raw it is. And I try to keep that with all of my films, whether it's raw joy or raw sadness. Mm. And I think that comes across. And I think that does a lot of good for people, especially women who have been taught that maybe their emotionality is something that should be perceived as negative or inhibiting in climbing mm. specifically as like this, you know, <laughs> to reference Ethan's point, this, you know, colonizing sport in a lot of ways, this like sport that began with the intended to conquer. Mm. And how do we fit into that narrative right now in 2022? Or maybe when this is supposed to 2023, I don't know, but you know, like, yeah, good point. It probably will come out in it, January. Yeah. <laughs> how does it fit into now? And I like that it can be so simple sometimes and so involved other times. Mm. Yeah, I, I love I love how you do that. I've seen you do that in your videos. I'm something you said just now about how sometimes you're elated and sometimes you're depressed. And the way in which you're able to take all of us on that journey, I think, is a real gift to everyone watching. And it's so vulnerable. And watching your uh, Spank the Monkey video. Congrats on that one, by the way. That's another like dream line of mine at Smith. Yeah. Um, but it was so interesting to see your reaction after your first uh, red point attempt, after your first lead attempt um, and Did falling. Did my body collapse? Yeah you, co like... yeah, you collapsed and you were defeated. And and then like the analysis, like the, the just the fact that you left all of that in and shared it and then went even deeper and analyzed it and shared that process and your understanding of what is this? Like, is this, like, I feel dejected right now. Is this an expectations thing? That doesn't quite feel right. Is it this other thing that doesn't quite feel right? Oh, is it the fact that I, I was terrified just now doing that? And the fact that I fell means I have to do it all again. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, you know, I was like, that's, that's really cool. I don't know. I mean, you didn't have to leave any of that in, but it is really helpful to, I guess in a way it like gives coming from someone like you who is as accomplished as you already are and climbing as hard as you are just gives the rest of us permission, you know, like just lean That's, into those things, those explorations, you know, exploring those scary fears and feelings. I really like that. I, I like those words. Um, it gives you permission. Cause that's, that's really what I've been, that, that's a perfect way to summarize what I was trying to say. It's just like, I want to give, everyone permission including the groups i represent and maybe even especially the groups i represent but everyone deserves to be flawed it's so much pressure if you just like are expected as an athlete to be perfect and mm. to be perfectly strong perfectly in control of everything and i think that's how athletes have been seen in the past like oh they're superhumans but just giving people permission i think that's really beautifully said Cool. Do you want to wrap up? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I want to ask you what you are most excited about in your own climbing right now, as far as that it's, you know, I'm, I need to challenge myself. I always need to be pushing myself, working on things. What's exciting to you right now? What are you working on in your own climbing? Right now, what's really exciting is hard single pitch trad and sport climbs. And honestly, just do it, like copying on the top and just kind of getting thrown off, but being like, oh, that's kind of within range. Like, that's so surprising how within range that was. Like, Sweet. I only tried it once and I felt like, oh my God, if I had more than just one day on this, like, who knows what could happen? I had this like optimism and hope with it at a grade and a level that I haven't 
ever tried. Like that's the hardest climb I've ever tried. I've been focused really on the trad scene and, you know, you drop a few grades as far as safety and things like that. And it's just like so exciting. And I think I'm really excited to work on, on becoming a little more powerful, like pumpy power endurance type things. And just, yeah, keep pushing the single pitch sport and trad, but, and, and try to do them at different levels. I think what I've been doing is I've been climbing the same level for sport and trad because I kind of equate them in my mind, but I'm like, oh shit, maybe I can actually climb harder sport because, you know, there's so much less risk and danger and fear to it. And I just kind of had that epiphany. So I'm really excited to push both in different ways. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm psyched. <laughs> um, and then same question for your YouTube channel. What feels exciting to you right now with, yeah. with that? Yeah. Where are you going with that? Oh my gosh. It's all so exciting. It's like really <laughs> getting a lot bigger now. I keep getting recognized, which is wild. Everywhere I go, I got recognized at the grocery store and at a concert. <laughs> I went to a music concert uh, like last week with my older sister. And someone like was like, oh, are you, are you on a hazelnut? And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So that's really <laughs> exciting. I don't know why I went on that tangent. That just came to mind. That's but great. As, as far as YouTube goes, um, I, I actually have my camera next to me. Like before this uh, video, I was like trying to learn all of the buttons on it a little better and just like doing this like hour tutorial on it. And I just kind of want to get better at filmmaking. It's like, there's not a lot of time for me to do things. And since I, I really like to do a lot of different things and get good at them, I find myself sometimes being like, oh, I'm really focused on projecting. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, I should be focused on editing and filmmaking and making that better. And I'm kind of excited to work on that. Is that like a weakness? <laughs> like work on my filmmaking, kind of get my production quality up and, and just be like lean into that and the creativity a little bit more. So hopefully quality will go up this next year as I, you know, as I get more support from people too. I mean, subscribers are views and views obviously are how I get paid. And so the, like when there's more traction for my videos and my channel, I actually get more time and space to just be creative and make better videos. So I really hope that shows and I hope that continues like that whole trend because mm -hmm. I, I really love the creative process. Making the Spank the Monkey video was so fun. Like <laughs> I just felt like I really was like, okay, time to edit, like time to like really get into the creative mode. And I love that. So that's really exciting for me on YouTube. That's awesome. That's awesome. What percentage of your income comes from YouTube versus sponsor direct sponsorships for your climbing and other things? Yeah, I have quite a few different sources of income. I have like seven or eight. So wow. it's, okay. yeah, well, yeah, I work too much. Too much <laughs> so, um, I don't know what percentage actually. I'm gonna it, this year taxes are gonna be painful. <laughs> it's so impossible to log everything, but. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like a third okay. or so of my income, depending. Because with YouTube, it's not just views. Um, it's also sometimes my videos actually get sponsored. Mm. And then that, I consider that part of YouTube. Yeah. And then I have my merch that's also kind of linked to YouTube and same with Patreon. And so there's like a lot of things that are kind of part of YouTube. And if you count like all of the things kind of surrounding that, including Instagram, YouTube, like, you know, all the socials, maybe that bumps it up to like half of my okay. income. Um, and so that's like going well. 
we love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work and probably definitely not getting paid enough for all the work I put into it, but <laughs> I like it and it's going up and hopefully at some point it'll kind of make that, that equalizing point of paying me for my time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then I take on freelance video editing jobs. So oh, okay. I'm pretty much constantly doing some other job, whether it's within the industry or not. And then I also take on like modeling jobs. Um, I do clinics. I was like touring with Rab and doing those, the outdoor photography and slab clinics. And I just like do random odd jobs here and there. Just like, mm. oh, like, cool. Like I can do those voiceovers or I can do that. I, I, I live near LA. So it's kind of a weird job market huh, yeah <laughs> oh, i can do that video or oh i can be a background person in that so <laughs> what's the most um weird or unlikely thing <laughs> like that that you've been involved in <laughs> yes <laughs> i was a hand model yes i was which is i mean not really i mean it was like all of me but my hands were like on display, which I thought was a hilarious choice from the director for a Sophie Tucker music video. And like, I mean, I'm like oiled up and shirtless and I have (laughs) hands like on my chest like this. And it's like close-ups and I'm like licking other models. It was so funny. It was like, (laughs) it's the most outrageous thing I've ever done. And it's on the internet. So everyone can go have fun finding me (laughs) on the internet in a very sexual music video. But it's only for like little like seconds so you would never know it's me really mm. but i'm the one with the red nails and like <laughs> a pendant like a circle kind of necklace i thought that was really funny and just like what like i guess i'll be in this music video and it was really fun do you know the name of the song by chance yeah it's original sin okay and then i make like a big orgasm face um, <laughs> right in the at the climax of the song i'm like yeah. the main like <laughs> yeah it was really funny I had so much fun with that one because nice. it's just like I need to do modeling work that isn't climbing specific. <laughs> and it was so outrageous. I was like, yeah, I'll just go to LA for that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I asked that, that question. That's great. Okay. The internet doesn't know this too. I don't like broadcast the fact that I do other jobs, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. like on the climbing people are like, how do you just climb for a living? And I'm like, oh, well, you hustle. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. The good thing, I mean, this is a little bit, well, yeah, whatever. Um, the the cool thing about YouTube, though, I've actually been uh, learning about it from Sam from Climbers Crag because I think yeah. they are going to help me start a YouTube channel because I don't have the bandwidth to do it myself. Oh, um, amazing! Yeah, super exciting. I'm really, Congrats. I'm really psyched. Yeah. Um, and Sam, one thing that he said that really stood out to me is that there's a big difference between. YouTube and podcasting, which is that, um, you know, they have a successful channel now. They have like whatever, 80, 90,000 subscribers Mm -hmm. and they post regularly. But he said that every month about 90% of their income comes from old videos that they made before (laughs) that month. And only 10% of the income is from the new stuff that launched that month. So you're always, you know, you're, you're, you're basically building equity. You're building this library. And then as people discover it, you get paid as they watch and see ads and whatever else. So Unlike, you know, that's very different from podcasting. Like some percentage of my audience goes back and listens to old episodes and like goes through the whole catalog. But mm-hmm. the numbers are totally flip-flopped. Like I, I bet 90% of my downloads come from like whatever I put out this week, you know, um, or in the last like couple weeks. 
So, yeah. Yeah. No, I like that it, it's slowly becoming a passive source of income because if That's I like awesome. stopped making videos, I did actually, you know, I, I did. I stopped making videos for a month between October and November this year so I could project Spank the Monkey. And I was like nice. getting those videos together. And it was like rough keeping up with my once a week because I was doing all the filming for Queen Lines. And so on all of these filming days, it was just never for my channel. Mm. You know, I mean, it was obviously for an incredible movie that... I'm so happy happened, but you know, like, it's just like, as far as analyzing my time, I was like, I don't have extra time to make YouTube videos. So I kind of like reached the end and I was like, okay, I'm going to be out for a month. And I still like was consistently making money from YouTube, even when I stopped. And it was just kind of nice to know that, okay, like for sure, I'm not making as much as I usually do because I'm not putting out new content, but like, it's nice to have that buffer where it's, even if I don't make any content, I get X amount of money every month anyways. And that is always growing too. It's really, it's nice. Yeah, I feel like, awesome. you know, if people like my videos or like a certain video, they can always go back to that and watch it again. And that's another thing that maybe YouTube has maybe over podcasting is that people are really likely to rewatch videos. Mm. So if they really liked a video, they'll be like, oh, what was that video on Spank the Monkey? Mm -hmm. Or what was that video on Once Upon a Time? I know that gets rewatched all the time. And they'll watch it again. And they're essentially a new viewer but they're not. And I know people have like rewatched that video a ton of times. So that's kind of cool. Like that's you make awesome. good content and it stays. Yeah. Well, yeah. good luck going into YouTube too. I Thanks. think it's, it's so, it's so rewarding, but it's a lot of work. So it's mm -hmm. good that you'll have help with that too. And there's always the balance between like, you know, catchy titles, catchy thumbnails and what content you're doing. And it's really hard to find that balance sometimes. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. I'm really bad at it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like <laughs> it's outrageous hard. with it. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's it's tricky. I have a hard time with that with podcast episode titles. You know, it's like, how do you capture a three-hour interview in like 20, not even 20, in like 10 words, you know, in less yeah. than a sentence basically. And yeah, I try my best. And of course I play all the tricks. Like sometimes it's really clickbaity and whatever. And, sure. but it's hard. It's hard to capture the essence of a conversation with someone in a, in yeah. a title. So. Cause you want people to like click and, and hear it and be like, no, no, it's good. I promise this. Yeah. <laughs> I promise this video is good. This podcast yeah. is good. Yeah. But you also don't want to like deceive them or like make their expectations something that they shouldn't be. And it, it's just like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but totally. Yeah. Fine line to walk. Well, um, we were trying to wrap up. I'm going to ask you two more questions and then okay. I think we are done. I'm going to ask okay. Ethan's final question. Um, oh, and no yeah. pressure. If I know this is like a personal, um, he asked you about your, your goals and I know that that can be personal. If you want to keep your goals close to your chest, that's totally fair. Um, but Ethan asked, does Anna have any specific goals that are lifetime achievement goals? And that's lovely because he's kept it ambiguous enough to be just about anything, hasn't he? <laughs> like mm. climbing or not. Yeah. Which is nice. Because uh, I, I definitely, we've talked a lot about climbing goals and, you know, I've thrown out some names like the meltdown and stuff of climbs that I want to do that do and just do it that feel like really big reaches. Like they're grades away from what I've climbed and might take years. Um, but as far as like, life goals too. I mean, I just have so many and I, I don't know, like, I don't know how far to go into it. Cause like, you know, what if they don't happen? But I guess that's the vulnerability. That's like nice to share as well. Um, I definitely want to find a place that I call home 
with climbing an adventure nearby that I love mm. and kind of settle somewhere eventually or like make a home base. That's a and great goal. Yeah. It's just like, and I know it's really far in the future, like financially and also mentally, like I just, I'm not there yet, but I would love to have my own house or my own, you know, whatever it is, just a space that I can call mine and really like be familiar and have a home crag. I, I feel like I'm always traveling and going to new places and that's really, really exciting. But I think there's a lot of joy that comes with knowing a place and understanding a place and learning how how people live there, making friends. It's really hard to make friends. Um, I get really socially anxious. It's hard to make genuine friendships while wow. I'm traveling. That's surprising um, so. to me. It's hard. It's hard to imagine that based on how outgoing and, <laughs> and bubbly and fun you are. It, it seems like I'm outgoing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm yeah. really not. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll probably after this, like recharge by listening to an audiobook or something <laughs> where kind of tuning out, you know, like not yeah. talking and I'm really social, but I'm not super outgoing kind of. I mean, I guess it depends on how you, you know, if you want to be pedantic and like define outgoing as how you recharge. But yeah, I definitely recharge on my own. And so You're that's an kind of a big life goal. Yeah. I'm an introvert that seems like an, an extrovert. This is such, I just interviewed <laughs> Elena Joy. Same thing. This is such a common thing with content creators, which I find so fascinating. And it makes perfect sense. I'm the exact same way. And, you know, the reality is I spend most of my time in front of my computer alone in my van editing podcasts. I do that way more than this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But it is fascinating because every single time I'm like, well, surely Anna is an outgoing, <laughs> like bubbly, you know, she would go to a party to like recharge and be around people and stuff oh like that. God, but no. <laughs> no way. I would yeah. so much rather just go into my room and listen to an album of music and like just chill. Like, I, it's like... <laughs> And I'm very like active too. So that's funny, but there has to be some kind of activity, but like, I, I do need to not be next, like meeting new people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's like, I'm sure there's so much about myself that I haven't like fully discovered yet either. Cause I definitely know I can recharge when I'm with people I'm really comfortable with. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's just like so many nuances that are hard to explain mm -hmm. all at once, but like, Generally speaking, broad strokes, like I definitely do not go to a party filled with new people and, and a new environment to recharge. Like that's a training activity for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, any other life achievement goals that come to mind? Uh, I have so many like random little ones. Like I love language learning. Um, and I like, I'm pretty much fluent in Spanish now, but I would like to like be even more fluent. Um, and I started learning Catalan, um, which is beautiful, such a beautiful language. And so like, that's kind of like a life goal is just to be like confidently fluent in multiple languages. Um, and I, I think I pick up language pretty fast. That's nice. And then um, making films and stuff. I mean, it would be really cool eventually. And, and this isn't in the cards right now, but down the line to, you know, be be a filmmaker, like just be better at making films and make films about other people, hopefully within climbing. That is really what brings me joy. Um, and that's kind of a really long goal because I feel like right now I'm so focused on climbing. I'm like kind of in my moment and I kind of want to take that time for myself, but like yeah. slowly learn about filmmaking, about editing and how stories flow. Cause I really love telling stories. So if I can tell someone else's stories, I think that would just be like, just a top goal because mm. it's for me, it's so natural to tell my own stories and I don't care if 
if people feel like it's awkward or vulnerable. Um, but being able to do that with someone else and having them feel confident and happy about that presentation, I think that's such a beautiful skill. And that's another, there's so many, I don't know, so many things to do. <laughs> I'm like, I want to get good at roller skating. <laughs> there's like all the, there's a list of things I want to do. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Oh, <laughs> so sick. <laughs> one. <by> one. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many questions. We'll just have to save. I, I'm having so many <laughs> questions, but we'll just have to save them for next time. We, we, yeah, we're wrapping up. We're I know. Wrapping we're, up. I'm, I, I joked about the six hour podcast. I'm not trying to do that. That's that's a little no, bit No, I know much. you joked, but like you can see how I was completely serious. And I was like, <laughs> I can talk for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still having fun. This is great. But I do think we should wrap up. We can save everything else for around two if you're up for it. Um, I'd asked you this question in our pre-interview. I'm going to ask it again, just in case there's anything else that feels important to you that you want to touch on here. What is something you wish people spent more time thinking about? Um, and is there anything else that feels important to you that you want to share before I let you go? Yes. Yes. And I thought about this question and it always kind of boiled down to the same thing. Um, and it's something that we've touched on multiple times throughout this conversation and the word that I kept coming back to was empathy. I just feel like if people approached life with more empathy, then it would just be better. <laughs> and I, I'm so firmly on this. It just seems like in a lot of cases, people aren't willing to, to understand what someone else's experience is and whether that's in conversation when you're you know, responding to someone and not really taking into consideration their emotions. Like for example, someone's ex like complaining about something negative that's happened and you're just like, oh, and like you try to suggest something like, have you tried doing this? Or, you, you know, you try to go into problem solving mode or you kind of like just dismiss their emotions. I think if we all just like entered relationships, um, climbing gyms, you know, like every bit of life with a bit more empathy and being like, wow, you know what? Let me take a second to actually realize and recognize what you're telling me and how that makes you feel given your life experience. I think we would just get along better. I think we would make a lot more progress. I think people would be more loving and share, caring and sharing. So yeah, just be more empathetic maybe, or think about empathy maybe more and how it impacts you and your relationships in your life. Mm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. That's like the classic advice for boyfriends, right? Is it? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, stop, stop trying to be in solution mode. Just like, listen, just listen and make your partner feel heard. I mean, I'm saying this, I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of this because I'm like an engineer. I want like, well, what's the root cause? Let's fix this. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not always what's needed. And, and what, um, what is always needed is listening and, and really like hearing someone and trying to um, put yourself in, in their shoes to the extent that you can. And then like, if they ask you for, you know, thoughts, or, then great, but they didn't, you know, they probably didn't. So just, um, start with the listening. Um, and yeah, yeah. and enter spaces with more empathy. I love that. That's great. Thanks, wow. Anna. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was wonderful. What a lovely conversation. <laughs> yeah, for me too. I really enjoyed that. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate everything you do. Appreciate the realness that you bring to the camera, to your climbing, um, to this interview, to this conversation. Yeah, it, it really, it really, I think 
people like you being willing to transparently share who they are and their stories, I really think it does help make the world a better place. Um, it just shows shows people behind the lens and invites them in. And then, you know, you become you become a human just like anyone else. And if they were an asshole that had some assumptions or preconceived ideas about you, then those start to break down. And um, and then hopefully that that empathy gets extended to the next person and the next person, you know. So um, so yeah, thanks for showing up the way you do. And thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. That uh, was really beautiful. And I hope so. I hope it does make a difference. That is why I continue to do it. <laughs> awesome. I really enjoy it. But you know, to share, to give back. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I hope we can do this again. Let's do it again. That'd be great okay, for everyone thank listening. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in and for being here. I will link to all things on a hazelnut hazelnut <laughs> <laughs> in the show notes at the nugget I will link to her YouTube channel and Instagram and Patreon and all the things. So you can find everything you're looking for there. I'll try to find, I'll try to track down some of the fun things we talked about like that. Uh, that sexy music video. I think that'd be funny to share for, oh my for God. people if you're comfortable. <laughs> I can't believe I shared that. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Um, I I, <laughs> the list too. The list. The list. Of, I will put the list of yeah, uh, I'll send you better that. words for sending. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll put those in the show notes as well. But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time. Like we do it, like we do it. We got the right stuff.